listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Hey, maybe you're walking the dog. Maybe you're sitting in traffic. Maybe you're washing the dishes. Whatever the case, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you. And hey, if you're not a patron yet, check it out. Patreon.com slash DLC pod. We got bonus content. We got ad free episodes. Check it out. You can support the show at any level and it really does help. It makes sure this show continues because we're no longer part of a network and DLC of course, there's a show all about gaming in as many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also, games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who joins me in sending our love and support to the people of Ukraine, hmm. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Yes, people have talked about in our community about how we haven't really talked about it. And I can't speak for you, Jeff, but for me, part of the reason I didn't really bring it up is I wasn't sure of the best way on how to help folks there directly at prior well, shows when we had recorded. Since got, then, I have I, yeah. I found a, a great article. Uh, the one I like is on NPR uh, the website, and it's just want to support people in Ukraine. Here's how you can help. And it lists a bunch of great resources we actually, helping folks Christian, we actually ground. got an email okay. from a listener that even does oh, great. That does you one better. This comes to us from Vitali. Uh, Vitali wrote into dlcfeedback at gmail.com that says, uh, uh, Hey, Jeff and Christian, I'm your fan from Ukraine. I've listened to DLC since 2015 and have had countless hours of fun with you. However, fun times are on pause in our country right now as we are fighting against a ruthless dictator who wants to destroy our country and our freedom. To prevail... We Ukrainians desperately need any support we can get. Please let me kindly ask you to share details on how amazing uh, DLC folks can support Ukraine on your podcast. There are numerous real ways one can help Ukraine as a foreigner. Please find them at supportukrainenow.org. That is supportukrainenow.org. So, uh, thank you, Vitali, for for that email. Uh, we should have mentioned it last week. We were remiss in not. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, I think, support in the video game community for... New Doom levels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, these a lot of uh, developers, uh, a lot of publishers not not selling anything in Russia anymore. A lot of... I mean, the, the Stalker publisher uh, put out an interesting statement this week. I mean, it is... It is a, a truly global effort to stop this madman uh, and uh, help the people in Ukraine that are being senselessly attacked at this point. Um, anyway, you know, it's a sad time and it's, 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 it's a hard time to pivot to joy and the hobby we all love of video games, but we'll we could one. not. 
Go ahead. One other buffer that can help us buffer into it. That's also a Do weird it. transition, but it's a weird trans. It's it's going to be weird regardless. And this, I hadn't told you about. Well, I told you about it, but not that I was going to do it now. Um, I have been uh, I, as bonus content for everybody um, on this show. It's not locked behind anything uh, or anything like that. There's going to be a bonus episode thing of a trial of a show that Alex Solman and I have been doing. Um, called Feeling This, where Alex and I talk about the feels of video games, why things feel good, what we like about them, why you know something from a, your favorite video game really resonated with you and connected with you, and kind of that minutia of what makes video games feel good. You might remember Alex, he was on episode 364 of um, this podcast of DLC, longtime developer, great insights into things and the thing at the end of this episode is a discussion we had about doom og doom and why it felt so good in that first person shooter way back when so that'll be bonus content at the end of this episode and we're putting it out there because we want to know what people think about it alex and i have been having these chats and no one's heard them but us (laughs) we want to get folks feedback if they dig it and uh, are excited about it all right. So uh, again, uh, supportukrainenow.org is where you go uh, for that and stick around at the end of this episode for bonus content. Of course, lots of extra bonus content. In fact, we have a special guest for bonus content this week. Lots of stuff if you check out the Patreon. But we also have an awesome guest in this very episode. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week I am so excited because DLC stands for DJ2's Liaison to Cinema. Because we have co-founder of DJ2 Entertainment and co-producer of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, Dan Jevons, joining us for the first time. Hey, Dan. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure <laughs> to have you. Um, before we even get into the show... I have to, we, you know, just a couple of weeks ago now, I think it was that we talked about this news story that broke about how your production company that did the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie is doing the second Sonic the Hedgehog movie uh, also just announced uh, a number of video game IP that uh, you have teed up for various forms of movies and TV shows, including It Takes Two and, um, oh, what are the other two? What are the other two? Uh, I believe Life is Strange. And Disco Elysium, and yes. um, yeah, there's there's a oh, number good. of IP. Yeah, yeah, you you guys are getting these incredibly, I think, um, high potential video game properties, and uh, we've already seen a bunch of announcements. Uh, you texted me after uh, we talked about it on the show, and you said, "Hey, you didn't even mention anything." But <laughs> so here you are, you're on the show now. Thank you. Yeah, to rectify. No, um, tell me, tell me what, tell me why I should be super excited about uh, your production company bringing these IP to uh, screens of various sizes. Well, well, hopefully, you know, myself coming from a gaming background, hopefully we can bring some kind of perspective, you know, into the development of these things that represents sort of both. Um, you know, the, the people who play the games and love the games and follow the games and also, uh, you know, just the, the spirit and soul of the games themselves, you know, try to do something a little more authentic in terms of adapting these things. And you know, video games, as, an, as a source of IP in the past, you know, people say they haven't had the best track record as being, you know, converted, adapted into films. And I think there's been some successes and, and, and some failures, but overall, you know, 
when you see what goes into making anything, there's so much effort behind the scenes and so many things that can derail it. You know, people say, oh, they made a bad movie. You have, a lot of the time, you have no idea what went on, what went on behind the scenes. But, um, you know, hopefully we can, we can uh, you know, deliver something that is both, you know, a good standalone piece of linear medium and, uh, and additionally, you know, true to the, the spirit of whichever IP that we're, you know, adapting. Well, I think that, if you had asked me and, and probably a lot of gamers uh, before the Sonic the Hedgehog movie came out, we would have said Sonic the Hedgehog, probably not going to make that good of a movie, you know? Uh, and yet, <laughs> and yet one of I my think- favorite movies of that year, I think it was one, like one of the last movies I saw before COVID. <laughs> it was like my, one of my last trips to the movie theater before COVID. Uh, and it was an Im- immensely fun, uh, w- really enjoyable movie with great performances i mean jim mm-hmm. carrey uh, is incredible in it and it actually i think does a service to that character as well as being a a, a very enjoyable movie so how did you pull that off so there were a lot of of cooks in that kitchen obviously um you know the the history of the the adaptation was it was originally looking like it was going to go to to sony pictures um, and, uh, you know, uh, I believe we also change writers, but a lot of the, a lot of the credit for that has to go to, you know, Pat Casey and Josh Miller, who are the writers of the, what ended up on screen. And they really were the ones that dug into, you know, the background of Sonic, the fan base and, and, you know, found a story that, that, uh, while not necessarily something that's specifically been seen in games before was kind of true to, you know, maybe, maybe reaching a bit into the extended fan base of the, of the characters beyond just, you know, what we've seen in the mainline games and, and, giving the fans something that's both you know, kind of an origin story, but at the same time also really feels like a, a Sonic movie. Yeah, it was great. And I can't wait for the sequel. I mean, it, it looks awesome and as well. Classic, and Classic Jim Carrey back. I mean, Jim Carrey's yeah. done a yeah. bunch of great stuff, but it was so great for me to see the Jim Carrey I knew from a kid. Like he, the way he embodied that role and brought such playful hate to it you know like dr yeah. robotnik could be such an evil character and i think jim carrey's whimsy um yeah. was the perfect actor to bring that role to life really fun yeah um thanks i'm glad I'm, yeah, he was great yeah yeah, yeah. And, and uh very excited to see what the next batch of uh of projects that that we saw announced uh have in store for us and um glad to have you on the show thank you and uh let's jump in the way we always do Story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It's also where you can send us comments or questions or games that you'd like to see on the show that you haven't heard us talk about. Also, we have these awesome communities you can be a part of where you can submit stories and take part and discuss things over on our Discord, which is 5x5DLC on Discord, or the subreddit, which is 5x5DLC.reddit.com. But Dan, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Gosh, it's going to sound a little bit nepotistic if i if i pick amazon luna but i think uh i think <laughs> i think i'd be honest if i didn't you know just the notion of uh, luna coming out of early access um you know i'm with christian in that i'm a i'm a big fan of these emerging streaming technologies and i kind of you know whether it's stadia or whichever i, I wish them all the best i i feel like we're ultimately heading towards a future where once the you know the internet 
speed gets good at decent enough everywhere that you know streaming is just going to come half of the course it's going to be like netflix where the reduction of quality or lag is going to be so minimal that people will just put up with it you know similar to how people put up with less than blu-ray on netflix but yeah yeah but, it's and it's out it's 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 officially a thing i mean it's been in early access now and now it's out so what do you think of the service as delivered at this moment i mean there are a number of different tiers uh you have this family channel that's what uh, 5.99 per month you have the luna plus at 9.99 per month you can get uh the ubisoft plus channel uh at 17.99 per month but basically what you're getting uh which is the uh, the prime gaming channel uh has a rotating selection of games for free mm-hmm. and that uh this is for prime members obviously uh, th- that launches with Devil May Cry 5, Observer, uh, System Redux, um, Flashback, and then from March 8th to 14th, one of my favorite games of the last few years, Immortals Phoenix Rising. Um, so I'm excited about that. But I mean, there's a lot of different tiers, a lot to absorb as, as far as how this rollout is going. What, what do you make of that, Dan? So it's complicated you know i can see what i can see what they're attempting to be which is sort of the cable company of game streaming where mm. you would be able to like a you know menu pick and choose the channels that you want and the games that you want um and you know that in in, in in practice, that in theory, that sounds fantastic because you look at what's happening with with Game Pass and and you see how subscription services in general are just you know growing and growing and and certainly. You know, I think in the future you're going to see all of the big players are going to either create their own or end up kind of unifying onto one of the, the major first party, you know, subscription services. But you know, Amazon's kind of a, an independent third party here because ultimately I think they can they can host content from from any of the big uh, you know game develop game publishers, you know, and uh, that, that that might be to their advantage. Right now, um, in terms of the packages they're offering, it's going to be all about. If it, if it has the games you want to play, you know, specifically yeah. if you're subscribing for money uh, each month to to a channel, and um, you know, it's it's they need to get I think more up to date content. I think while I love you know me and you both talked about it, I love Immortals: Phoenix Rising. That's kind of last year's game, last you know last year's hit, and these services ultimately are its exclusive content or. And maybe that's up to the channel owners, the people that provide the content for the channels. Maybe that's not you know Amazon's uh, sort of a. Uh, Business, responsibility but, yeah responsibility but um yeah you know i personally i can see myself subscribing to like the retro channel or you know outside of outside of maybe getting certain certain games on the go in places where i wouldn't otherwise have access um you know i'm wondering who who they perceive as the audience for this yeah yeah it's interesting what you're saying about it being sort of the cable company for gaming because you're right th- there's this retro channel 499 a month and again these are all sort of a la carte channels that you can add or subtract you know like you do on amazon prime where you can add showtime or amc plus or whatever so the the retro channel has stuff like uh you know uh, street fighter 2 hyper fighting and metal slug 3 and castlevania anniversary collection uh you know obviously retro games the luna plus channel which is the nine ninety nine a month uh, offering that says it, uh, over a hundred titles: a uh, Ghost Runner, Team Sonic Racing, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, again, it's a, a catch as catch can with a, a bunch of titles and nothing that feels like it's day and date, at least not yet. 
However, the Ubisoft Plus channel does have day and date Ubisoft releases, um, hmm. Far Cry 6, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, anything they, they put out, it's going to be on that Ubisoft Plus channel. But now Which, you're up into the $17.99 uh, a month. The family channel is actually pretty compelling to me as a, as a dad because it's only $2.99 a month and it's curated titles that are specifically geared for all ages. So, you know, one would hope that that stuff that doesn't include microtransactions and a lot of kind of predatory garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. Th- this feels like it is aimed at sort of a more casual uh, market for folks that probably aren't already avid gamers. Um, yeah, that's my, my point was I wonder, I wonder who it's for because as an added bonus to your Prime subscription, I could see myself dabbling just to, to check it out and christian i haven't i haven't actually played around with luna but you're certainly you know i think the the resident expert on on which streaming platforms are are better and which are you know worse and and in terms of just latency and quality and everything else have you have you played around with luna have you given any of these channels a shot i yeah i was in the luna beta um, and I think I probably, I might've talked about it back then. I, I mean, I like, they do similar to stadia where you have a Luna controller. You don't need it, but it's, you know, they have that option of the Luna controller. I don't think you need it. Or oh, I should have double checked before I spoke. No, they have uh, a, they have an app that lets you use your phone as a controller. They got, got all it. kinds yes, of crazy yes, stuff. Yes, yes. Yeah. But with the Luna controller, it connects directly to the servers, kind of like the stadia controller, which again, you don't need the stadia controller. You can use an Xbox or not, but it, you know, supposed to reduce latency more. And I had a good experience with Luna. Luna, I think, was the first service to launch Ubisoft Plus, if I remember correctly, like in that beta. I think Stadia's came out around the same time, but um, I played a lot of Ubisoft Plus then through Luna, and I had a good experience with it. My (laughs) problem's too strong of a word, but my issue with it now that it's come out of beta, I think is what uh dan you and jeff have kind of talked around is this channel packaging amazon prime um despite other things that you know issues people will have with amazon amazon prime provides value to the consumer and prime video is a heck of a value add i know that prime prices i think just went up but like it's it's still a big value add to the consumer where it's like oh you're paying for air quote free shipping and also you get Reacher, which I raved about on uh, a three weeks ago film cast. It's great. Jack Ryan and the Michael B. Jordan, uh, Tom Clancy. There's a lot of really great original content on Prime Video. And yes, you can add a la carte things through it as well. But there's a lot of great content as part of Prime Video that you already get with part of your Amazon Prime subscription. Here in Luna, what you get included for being a Prime subscriber already feels very limited and what they're it seems like they're trying to sell these channels but these channels seem like they cost too much for what they are without kind of knowing what's going to rotate in or out like right now the games in the family channel i don't think are very compelling games um the same with the retro channel and like what if i like Street Fighter, but I also want to play Control. Well, now that I'm two channels deep, it seems like a weird way to package content. And Dan, I think your comment of it being kind of like a cable company is is really smart as to what it is. I think as a gaming platform, it's an approach that hasn't really been used before. And I think that's why it feels weird where it's like, 
I want to watch The Walking Dead and I want to watch basketball. But it feels weird to be like, well, I got to buy the basketball channel and I got to buy the Walking Dead channel. Yeah. And like, we haven't been conditioned that way uh, in the game space yet. And I'm curious if it if it takes off. Um, but I the service itself, I really, really like. I'm just perplexed by this uh, channel and game lineup for launch. Because Jeff, as you mentioned too, I don't, there's nothing here that's like, ooh, that's the game. Like there's the Amazon originals aren't there right. yet, you oh, know? Yeah. But right. like, that's what it needs. Um, the moment, yeah. the moment any any of these types of services goes from free to to ninety nine cents a month, I start scrutinizing, and uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm, I'm, even though it's less than uh, you know whatever a cup of coffee, some candy, uh, still you know paying for a subscription is just the mentality. You know, the, the way it feels is kind of like, well, I want to be make sure I'm getting my money's worth. And um, I, look, it's 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 nascent, right? They're just coming out of early access. We'll see what they what they do with it. Um, potentially, maybe they're just they're reaching out to a, a customer base to an audience that uh, that isn't tradition that we wouldn't traditionally consider. You know, the same way Netflix is putting games on their service now that really aren't for what we would consider traditional gamers via traditional means. And um, it, it's it's certainly interesting. But they have the they have the technology to back it up, and they have the resources to to grow it. So in terms of that, it being a a streaming platform for games, um, you know, we'll see. Could become yeah. Sad. I mean, I think I think the coolest thing about it it's not really for me at this moment, although maybe the family thing might, might be useful. It's not for yeah. me, but I'm, I want it, but like, it's not for me. <laughs> right. But I think that in the same way that all the other things you get with prime, you know, like there's prime music. I was like, well, I, it just, you're just giving that to me too. I mean, I'll yeah. use it. Of course. I'm going to, I mean, I'm, I'm paying for prime. So whatever the you want to bundle Halloween in with that album launched there, it was great. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> It's uh, it's that segment of it, the the prime gaming channel, which is the one that just you just get with prime, I think is that, you know, the gateway drug basically is it's it's the thing that will potentially get a bunch of folks that maybe wouldn't be going out to buy games or try a bunch of these games, you know, people that wouldn't try uh, observer system redux or, you know. <laughs> Mortals Phoenix Rising, for that matter. Uh, it's a weird and, collection, though. I agree with you, but I feel like that needs the broad type. Yeah. That needs Street Fighter. It needs Immortals. It needs a Jackbox game. Like that needs the Sportsborg mm-hmm. that then gets you to try the other channels. And maybe that's where it will go. But right now, it seems uh, like I loved Observer. I talked about it on this show whenever that was several years ago. But that is a creepy game. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, yeah. but maybe it's the kind of thing where you know it it, we, it incepts people into uh, <laughs> trying some stuff that are outside their comfort zone. You know, uh, but you're right to bring up Jackbox because, like, weirdly, that has its own channel. Like, just all the Jackbox games is its own channel, which weirdly might be the most successful of any yeah, of these. That, that I get. That I completely <laughs> yeah. get. More so than the Prime Gaming channel right now. But yeah, but you know. It, the, the retro gaming channel, if, if they could offer something, if they could fulfill a service that the game space needs in terms of, you know, like we talked about, you guys talked about a couple of weeks ago, how there were thousands of, of Nintendo games leaving the Switch shop when it, or the, the which shop was closed. Wii U, you know? yeah. Yeah, Wii the, the Wii U yeah. store. And if some of those could be preserved in a in a streaming sense, you know, there's there's ways to provide things that other people aren't that um that maybe would get me to look at spending money, but... Yeah, we'll yeah. see. Again, this is just the beginning, I think, for them. And and look, streaming technology in general is still in the growing pains kind of period, I think, of its development. And 
Yeah. You know, where, where did we get to the point where, you know, as I slowly get, became more accustomed to watching, you know, content on Netflix and less did I need to own the Blu-ray of everything to get the highest possible quality? Like, where do we hit that, that, uh, the critical mass of, of, I don't mind streaming a game anymore because it's just more yeah. convenient versus I'm always going to play it on in HD on my console, you know? I think we all agree that that's going to happen. You know, at some point that's going to happen, but. And, and how quickly when. does Amazon, they talked about integrating with Twitch, which maybe it's already there. I haven't played with it mm-hmm. um, since this full launch, but like full Twitch integration and then also full Amazon integration. I'm yeah. going to go buy Immortals Phoenix Rising. You can buy it or play it right now. And you're yeah, like, just click well, this I, button and now you're playing. I guess I'll and, play and by it the right way, now. <laughs> you're playing on your PC or your Mac or your Fire TV or your Fire tablet or your iOS phone or tablet or your Android phone or tablet or your Chromebook. Like the the breadth of of devices that are supported is a, is a pretty much of the killer and app. That, <laughs> you know? that, yeah. that, that setup that you just described where, you know, I'm watching a Twitch streamer play the game and I can hit a button and I'm playing that game it, within, you know, 30 seconds of the title screen. There's absolutely no downtime. There's no loading. There's no anything. And I can try it while the guy's playing it. Maybe even the level or the, you know, the, the setup that he's playing, um, mm-hmm. which, which would be incredible. I mean, you can imagine how, how powerful that would be, how successful that would be, but no one's yet to coordinate that. Yeah, that was the promise of Stadia, and it never yeah. came to be, or it hasn't yet, at least. Uh, all right, uh, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Yeah, my story of the week is that uh, even when a game's out, Jeff's still right, and it still really <laughs> pisses Christian off. And Jeff's still right. <laughs> and right. It, there it is. The games can come out and still be delayed, Jeff. So I don't know what magic you have, but stop using it for that. And <laughs> use your powers for good. You are like uh, Bizarro, you know. Come on, Clark Kent. I quit being evil and stumbling around and working the way of the good. What I'm talking about is that Halo Infinite's co-op. Uh, yeah, Dan, thank you. That is exactly yeah, how he I speaks felt. for all of us. <laughs> the co-op and Forge are all delayed again. Originally, well, not originally. Well, at some point before they were. Uh, to launch with season two um and then season one was expanded or lengthened and the thought was that these things were still going to launch at the start of season two and then now with the start of season two coming approaching um 343 released a statement saying hey season two here's some stuff we have coming in season two new maps this that and the other also <clears throat> don't look over there a squirrel also co-op and forge are delayed and also that, how good is that squirrel um yeah and still currently said to launch during season two but at an undetermined date and uh countdown man, to campaign co-op being canceled as a feature no, uh, no, i want to no, play no. this with you so badly I, guys i do too it but, screams for co-op. It screams as someone who's been, we'll talk Destiny later. Uh, I know Dan and I will chat that later. But like co-op Bungie slash 343 shooter is real good co-op. No, that was, believe me. The, 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 my co-op of the, the co-op of the original Halo was part of the reason that it was, you know, really the first ultra successful console of the, you know, the control scheme and the aim. aim 100%. But it's part of the reason it was so successful and to, to, to not have that in any form um, next to how you know six months post release is they're gonna they're in danger of losing their momentum because they had heading into the holidays they had such strong momentum with everybody I knew was playing Halo was trying to go Onyx or whatever the multiplayer highest ranking you could be and was lo- was loving it and um that certainly t- seems to have tapered off in the new year I haven't looked at the stats so I, I haven't looked at the data I mean maybe it's kicking ass for all I know but um 
you know, my, I, my I mean, anecdotally, you're, I mean, like Paris Lilly was tweeting about like, you know, he loves Halo and had been talking about it and on the X cast and was like, yeah, this is taking too long. Like we don't want, no one is like wants developers to crunch and have an awful life or this, that, or the other. I think for me, it's kind of the perfect storm of communication, expectations, and, and delays attached to a franchise that is kind of known for these things. It'd be different if it was like, um, uh, co-op coming to uh, what's a game that doesn't have it? Last of Us. Play as Joel and Ellie. Oh, that's been. It's like oh, okay, that mm. seemed weird, but like co-op and Forge had become such a big part of of Halo. I think to so many people that this hurts well, more. <laughs> but does yeah. this speak to it being you know infinite in, in the sense that it the is delay? An on- <laughs> a well, the delay. Yes, but but also in the sense that this is this is a live service product and not. It's not a, you know, we're we're gearing up to start making the next Halo installment. Like this supposedly is going to be the one that stays around like a I, Destiny might. I, un- I, I understand so. that. And certainly heading into this, you know, as a as a largely PvE player that dabbles in PvE. I enjoy PvP, but certainly PvE is the, the main reason I play I play Halo games. Um, I, I was hoping that we would get some live service aspects of PvE. I had hoping that we get new newly designed levels or remix difficulty level, you know, just something to keep. Yeah. I, I actually last year, because I was trying to play a bunch of games to, to actually have an opinion about game of the year. I did a halo, what they call a lasso run, right. Which is legendary all skulls on. Mm, you find yes. skull. So I did it. I completed a halo lasso run. And I was at that, at the end of that, I was so high on halo as a game. I was like, I cannot wait to do whatever this game has to offer next. And as it turns out for the, for the PVE content, that was nothing. Um, you know, and still is nothing. Yeah, yeah. Ah, It's such a bummer. But I have to say, Christian, as much as this news story bums me out, uh, it is not my favorite delay story of the week. (laughs) There there was a delay story that came out this week that is like the chef's kiss delay. Uh, (laughs) Star Wars Eclipse evidently has been delayed to 2027 or 2028. Yeah. Um, Five or six year delay. That is, that's a delay. We, now you, that's, you know, nobody, you know, people messing around with these six month delays, these one year delays, eh, you know what? Pony up to the table and delay your game half a decade. That is the life. That is the lifespan of my youngest kid. Like, that's her entire life. Yeah. 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 My oldest kid is five. Yeah. That's uh yeah. That's, that's me, me go, from going from not having children to having what I have now. Which is a little terror in my life. Anyway, yeah. uh, but you that got, is that's that's a delay, right, Dan? That's a delay. It, it's a heck of a delay, and and you know, there's there's been issues with the studio, some you know, press of the studio, and I just I wonder, and rumors that a lot of content was discarded. I don't I don't know how valid any of that is, but um, I, I'm sure there's a reason for announcing why it's why you know that kind of delay as opposed to just saying yeah we're just going back you know we're going to continue developing until it's ready um you guys yeah. need a, a sean madigan bumper for every game is delayed because <laughs> it, it comes up that you're right so often i feel like you just need to hit a button every time because every game yeah. is delayed it's true every game's delayed i do love <laughs> I, I do love jeff everybody else is like man i cannot wait for gran turismo 7 to come out and jeff's like i cannot wait for gran turismo to come out Later than they announced. Come on, delay, baby. <laughs> no, I'm not rooting for it. I just think it's. I just think it's amazing. I want. I, I love. I, mean, I don't want to get off the Star Wars Eclipse thing because I just think it's so awesome. When they're like, we're thinking we're going to get this thing out in like a year. Mm, 
No, we're going to need six more. When you get those kinds of adjustments, you just wonder behind the scenes what's going on in terms of why they announced the original release date and why they felt compelled to to update the date so far off as opposed to just saying we don't have a date you know we're working on it i just um, love that meeting like do you think you're gonna have the game out next year Nah, no no we're gonna need a delay oh okay H- how long uh, five or six years no, it, it's, it's, it starts with the opening <laughs> scroll but it says instead it says a long time from now oh, so <laughs> in a funny. world far, far away. I mean, I, I, I'm very excited about that game. I, I, you know, I think that it has the potential of being something really special, but I'm going to completely forget about it now. Cause you, I mean, yeah. come on. G, G saves in the chat says that kind of delay. I give my wife when she asks me to do something I don't want to do, but can't say no to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll clean the garage. And yeah. <laughs> oh, honey, I will definitely clean out the entire attic. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. I'm just going to give you a slight delay on that one. Yeah. That was eclipsed style. Uh, mm. So funny. All right. Uh, my story of the week uh, is uh, much more hopeful, much more exciting at least from my perspective, we got a, uh, well, more of a rumor, really, but I think this is a pretty credible one, uh, that there are new games in the Sly Cooper and Infamous franchises in development. Uh, this comes from a leaker who has been proven correct uh, a number of times, including actually about a Star Wars Eclipse of being revealed. Um, so it's a leak, and it's not... Uh, not confirmed by any stretch, but it's so exciting to me because not because I'm a huge Sly Cooper fan, but because I am a huge infamous fan. And I just, I mean, we, we saw um, um, ghost of Tsushima be this massive new game, new IP, new, new universe. And once assumes that that game will get a sequel and be a long standing franchise. I think it's sold mm-hmm. really, really well. I can't imagine there won't be more ghost games. I, I'm guessing the next game is going to be Ghost of Someplace Else, right? Ghost of Something Else? Or Ghost of Tsushima 2? I don't know. Anyway, re- regardless of that, my biggest worry about that game doing so well was that it meant that potentially the infamous franchise was going to be uh, neglected. And I'm very excited. Uh, I don't. It doesn't say Sucker Punch is doing it, but just the fact that the infamous IP is not being abandoned. Sly Cooper, also exciting. Uh, <laughs> much less so for me. I mean, <laughs> Sly Cooper's a good game. They're good games. I love Sly Cooper. On, I love Sly Cooper. Love okay. all the Sly Coopers. Tell me why I'm wrong, Dan. Tell me why Sly Cooper is the one to be excited I, look, about. Look, okay, so the, 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 the last Sly Cooper I played, it was very much in the vein of a Ratchet & Clank. It was very much just a very high-quality, polished action action platformer but it had personality i like the character i like the theme i like the art style i like the music and it's certainly it's certainly a game i would like to see updated you know in in a more modern context of open world like going from rooftop to rooftop or conducting these heists all around the city or you know i could see it i could see it being successful i could see it working um yeah you know it, mechanically, does it does it need to or deserve to exist alongside a rational and Clank? Why not? You know, it <laughs> it, it had its. Well, I mean, the, I'll the say what Dan the, can't say. 
because I'm making this up, but Dan is excited about a new Sly Cooper because the Sonic movie did really well, you guys. So. <laughs> put, put that put put a, a pair of uh, a burglar mask yeah. on the on the on I Sonic. Can, and I can you see got the it. poster already. You know, yeah. I see the the question mark. And Jeff, you're excited about these games being announced because you know now that they'll be delayed. Like yeah. that's the only reason. I just I just like being right. No, they haven't been announced. Let's be let's be clear. They haven't been announced. These are rumors that they're in development and that there's supposedly going to be a new Sony event uh, very soon that is going to announce uh, one or both. Um, and uh, I hope that that's true because um, I, I think the, what was the last uh, infamous game is called second son, right? That was the most mm-hmm. recent one. Such yeah. a brilliant game. I think highly underrated. Uh, one of the best superhero super powered video games yeah. ever. I Ground, think realistic grounded superpower games. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. Uh, the variety of powers that you get and how you use them and the way the way it, it expresses those powers in that in that game. I mean, I, I hope the infamous but gets well, gets a sequel and gets it gets you know gets to build on that. Now everyone's they're all under Sony's umbrella as well. I wonder if there's you know if there's any any sort of shared knowledge or technology between what what's going on with the Spider Man series and what could potentially uh-huh. be going on with you know an, an, a new a great infamous. Point. Yeah. That's a great point. I'd love to see that engine leveraged uh, yeah. for, for Infamous. That'd be awesome. Yeah, not, not that Sucker Punch, like their engine, they look at Ghost of Tsushima, it's literally one of the most gorgeous games that exists, you know, running on, on a PS5, you yeah. know, 60 frames a second. So I don't think they necessarily need technological help or art help, but, you know. Yeah. And, and but I mean, moving through the city, Infamous was so good. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a, like, you get a super speed uh, power in, toward the middle of the game and is, or second son at least. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Very similar to how you move through the city with Spider-Man, just like fluid and awesome and cool. And anyway, I love it. But uh, we shall see if that is actually the case. Uh, hopefully soon. But again, just rumor for now. All right. It is time to talk about the games that we have been playing. Whoop, first, whoop. first, we got to thank our sponsor, which is... HelloFresh! Oh, I love HelloFresh. I literally made a HelloFresh meal tonight for my family. No joke. Super happy to do it. I love to cook. Why? Because of HelloFresh. I didn't love to cook before HelloFresh. It has turned me into a person that enjoys cooking, which is super weird, but true. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, seasonal recipes, delivered right to your doorstep. In fact, even in the snow... Now that I live in Denver, I get the snow-covered box. It's so delightful. Skip <laughs> trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Hey, let me tell you, I, especially in, the, in these times, not just because uh, you know I haven't wanted to leave the house in two years, but also because now I live in the snow, and it's really nice to have things show up at my doorstep pre-portioned. I don't get extra ingredients of crazy things that I'm never going to use again. I'm never going to get the, the, you know, you read a recipe and you go, Oh, I need a sprig of nonsense, whatever, whatever it's, I've never used that thing again. I'll use it in this recipe. And then it'll go bad in my fridge, not with HelloFresh pre-portioned, which includes farm fresh produce that arrives within a week. So you get the convenience without skimping on the quality. You skip the trip to the grocery store. I hate going to the grocery store. And you don't have to wait in long lines. And you don't have to waste money on excess food. 
It's incredible. Plus, HelloFresh has fit and wholesome recipes for satisfying and nutritious meals you can feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, including low-calorie and carb-conscious options. I love going into the app and picking the meals I'm going to get. You can easily change your delivery day, your food preferences, your plan size. You can even skip a week whenever you need to. I often do. It's so simple. It's so flexible. I use that app. It's just great. And HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. On average, you can save over $65 per month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. That's money back in your pocket. Come on. Go to HelloFresh.com slash DLC16 and use the code DLC16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. What? That's HelloFresh.com slash DLC16 and that code DLC16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right, it is time to talk about the games that we have been playing. Dan, what has been on your playlist lately? Oh, gosh. Well, the way I see it, I, I have a couple of hobbies. You know, one hobby <laughs> is playing video games, and then the other hobby is Destiny 2. And I say that because <laughs> amazing. You, you sort of have to divide your time between all the games that I like to play. And, you know, I've been playing Horizon, and obviously I've got Elden Ring sitting, sitting waiting to be played. But uh, but certainly Destiny 2 takes up a lion's share. I'm one of those guys that likes to play, you know, when, when it, I have downtime or whenever I, you know, just want to relax or play anything. It's sort of I log into Destiny 2. It's like the live service game that just absolutely captured my imagination. And, uh, you know, during the pandemic, it's more time at home and more time to play. It's something that I kind of sucked my teeth into and really tried to get into like the higher echelons of the end game content to see what that was like and just absolutely adore it. So, you know, the past couple of weeks, the, the New Year expansion, um, Witch Queen, has, was released. And uh, it was kind of a, a, a race to get to a certain power level and to, you know, build, acquire certain, you know, pieces of armor and, and, and create builds to, to attempt this, this day one raid that's been going on. I guess it started Saturday, and I guess it ends Monday now. They've extended it a day, but... That's what I've been playing, and I, I adore it. I mean, I you know I'm a Destiny fan through and through, and uh, somehow you know they they managed to build you know for me being a first person shooter fan and being a looter fan and an RPG fan and a fan of you know space magic. Um, I uh, I've been in, in hog heaven playing that thing. <laughs> Who doesn't love space magic? Um, <laughs> so last week Christian was raving about the new story content, but it sounds like you you know you, we we talk a lot about the games that we're married to on this show, the games where, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we date and the games we're married to clearly you're married to this one. Uh, and it also sounds like it's not just the story content that brings you to this expansion. It really is that high level raid content. And it's, it's the, it's the, uh, you know, chasing items, all that, all that stuff. Tell me yeah. what, what this expansion does to continue that. Is it just more or is it doing something new and different? So this this season they've introduced weapon crafting, which is for the first time, rather than sort of farming, you know, trying to obtain weapons with 
randomized roles where you can sort of kind of control, you know, the probability of, of which perk you might get. This season, they're, they're literally allowing you to sort of, in this forge, build weapons from the ground up to, to have the perks and the traits and the characteristics that you want, want them to. And then to keep these weapons and, you know, level them up, put skins on them and, and you know, t- tokens on them and things and sort of get really attached to individual weapons or pieces, pieces of gear so that, you know, it's something that a year later you're still using and you feel, you know, like it's, you know, your second son kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, I've been tempted to jump back into, there's just, there, there really is too many games right now, but I, I, I feel the draw of destiny cause it's just a, a game that's instantly and completely fun. You know, you just jump into that game and you're having fun right away. Yeah, it's, it's still, in my opinion, it is still the industry best, like, shooting. The, act, yeah. the way the, gun, the yeah. guns actually feel, the reload animations, you know, there's a lot more going on than just the weapons. But, you know, the thing that brings me back is you know, they have some wizards there creating these these guns, just components and mechanics and cogs that, you know, that the way they sound, the way they look, the way they fire, the feeling of the impact, everything, they just, they, they're geniuses over there at creating that kind of thing. And, um, you know, you always want to see what they've got cooked up next. And how Do good have- is the glaive speaking of what they cooked up next? It's like they introduced a first person melee weapon, which they had never done before. And it's also your introduction to crafting, which I think is really smart, where it's mm-hmm. this very new, sexy item that can melee. It has like a little melee combo, but also can shoot a projectile. And and then you can, of course, upgrade it and specify it as you want, but also gives you a shield, which I found to be invaluable mm-hmm. uh, in some of the content that I've been exploring, where I am, oh, I need to get my terms wrong, hard... Dan, you're going to be mad at me because hardcore married to <laughs> destiny people, you know, I'm their friend. I'm their uncle, right? Or I'm their right. cousin. Like they get me, but I don't stick around. So they're like, oh, we'll see him at next family reunion. And that's, <laughs> that's about right. But I am, uh, I'm like 15, 10. So I think I'm like past soft level cap, but I'm not at that middle one mm-hmm. and I'm nowhere near hard level cap, but I'm like, you know, I'm in there, right? I'm in the mix. I'm, I wait for next month to do the raid i wait for you to figure it out dan and then tell me how to do it it's been, it's um, been a chore, man. <laughs> just getting through some of these encounters without, without a guide but it's been fun too um yeah, yeah. so 15 10 is not there's nothing to sneeze at given that the season started at 13 50 and uh you know look one of the things they did with the with the campaign this season that i thought was really smart was um the difficulty is is the hard set difficulty levels. So there's legendary and there's uh, you know ordinary, and uh, it, it, it's light independent. So it doesn't matter what light level you are. You go in and it's like playing a game on hard or on normal. And um, I think that's brilliant. And I'd love to see more of that moving forward, so that you're not constantly on this power creep of having to level up each piece of gear you have every new season, and that it's more assigned to well, you can take on the harder difficulties if you want, but um, you know, be warned. Uh, but so, you know. That's that's a decent light level, you know. There's nothing to. I don't think you can. I don't think you can do the raid with it. But <laughs> well, I, I'm curious uh, if you have uh, a, a crew that you run with. I I wanted to mention uh, that one of our patrons, actually, who goes by Gamer Tag Nice Invader on Xbox, uh, has a, is is part of the DLC clan. So there uh-huh. really is a, a DLC clan you can join up. And uh, Dan, his name is also Dan. Uh, okay. He invites folks to add him on uh, on Xbox. Nice Invader, all one word, and wants to play with some DLC 
listeners who might be uh, enjoying uh, Destiny 2 as well. But do you have a crew that you run with, Dan? Or are you are you going solo? So I, I have friends that I play with that belong to a number of different clans. So unfortunately, heading into this, you'd think I would have found a clan to do the day one. But um, I was just joining random LFGs and, and, you know, just trying to find a group of people that that I synced with. Um, but I do have I do have friends that I play online with. And, and, you know, it's split between people that like to play PvE. And I have a couple of friends who are PvP gods, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh the community is great. The Destiny community on the whole is, is you know, as opposed to, say, a Call of Duty community, is, is, is there's a, a refreshing lack of toxicity, at least in the aspects of it that I've seen. Um, yeah. And, uh, and maybe that, that's, that's because it's not as hyper-competitive as a, as a Call of Duty, but, um, you know, I have, I have people I pay with. Christian, are you, uh, are you feeling sort of solo play with, with this expansion, or does it feel like it needs the support of, of a clan or a group? The high-level stuff, you need support, right? Like Dan mentioned, for the raid, you, you know, well, one, you can't do it solo. You know, you yeah, can be right. randomly matched with folks or, or go in and find folks to play with. Um, but it needs that, especially people now and like Dan running it now where they're figuring it out. Like when I do raids, you know, someone's figured it out and usually Tower Mina is carrying me through and being like, dude, this is what you need to do now. And I'm like, I got it, got it, got it. Wait, what do I do? And he's like, you got to do this. And yeah. I get to see the content, but I'm not figuring out the content. But Destiny as a, I don't want to say casual game, Destiny Witch Queen, in my opinion, is still very playable as a solo player. Mm-hmm, I sure. think they do a, a good job bringing people into strikes. Like I've done a few strikes with random groups and one of them was one of the most fun, you know, experiences I've had in the witch queen content. It was just, we clicked together really well. We all played our roles together really well. And strikes of course, aren't as demanding as a raid, but what I really like about the witch queen levels is as Dan mentioned, you can replay them, which was hard to do in destiny before. And I think Mm -hmm. some, story things you couldn't really replay that actual story mission and you can go in and select legendary or regular and the story missions themselves feel closer to raids where you are figuring out little puzzle pieces they're not as complex because they can be soloed where it's like a raid you know dan needs to carry this orb while i activate this platform and then someone else needs to you know do that or whatever but in the campaign which you can do solo but you'll have to do that there's a a moment uh, in the campaign where you're battling a boss who is shielded um, from these orbs and you have to locate these orbs, but where the orbs are, are in little caves that are dark and then there's enemies will jump out at you. So you're battling, you know, the horde, but also trying to illuminate lights in this area. So you can yeah. better see the area to take out the orbs to then get the shield down to then take out the boss. And that to me felt very much like, a version of a raid encounter that, you know, we had a, a few seasons ago, a few expansions ago. And I think in that regard, this is some of the best solo content that Bungie's released because it gives solo players the feeling of figuring things out and exploring in a way that used to be um, locked, so to speak, behind raids. Yeah, you, it, you'd call it raid mechanics, but really that kind of thing is just traditional video game boss mechanics. You know, any multi-stage <laughs> boss where you've got to do something to before you can do damage. It's, and, and I don't think that it's, it's overly complex. I think that 
even if you aren't familiar with Destiny, you could figure that stuff out pretty quickly. But it does add this additional layer of you're not just shooting things with with health bars that go down, which is always refreshing. And uh, yeah, that, the campaign is is so good this time around. The individual levels, it's you know one of the best I played in a long, long time. I really want to play this game. I, I it, it, this is such an odd February slash March that it, it really feels like you there. There are these incredible high quality games that just went boom, 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 came out back to back to back to back to back. And it, it really is interesting looking at my friends list, who's sticking with what, you know, there's the Elden Ring people. There's the, you know, there's the uh, Horizon Forbidden West people. There's the Destiny people. It's, it, it's, it's a lot of good stuff. And I feel like I don't want to jump into Destiny right now because I, I want to finish some of these other experiences. But Christian, it, it seems like Destiny is the one that is keeping you around. I mean, yeah. Uh, right now, because I, I I had uh, illusions in my head of being able to get to a power level to be able to do the raid this week, which I knew was foolish. I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I wanted to try. You know, So I was getting my gear set up right and seeing <laughs> where I could get without doing what I would consider a heavy grind. Mm-hmm. But the allure of the raid was strong. And so that's how I you know, whatever I am over 1500. And, and I was like, okay, now the grind became, <laughs> became real and other games, uh, pulled me along. But if you want to get witch queen, Jeff, I will gladly jump in and replay any campaign moments with you. I will play with again, you guys. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, do it. And, and super. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's Christian, next, next week, uh, it's not contest content anymore, right? So next week, the super hard challenge version of the raid is removed and it's just a regular raid. And at that point, you know, people have figured out the mechanics. You can absolutely do it, I think, at that light level. And, um, and you should. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fan. This, this is one of the first times that they've really tied in the raid story and experience to what's going on in the campaign. Like the, it, even the new season, the season of the risen, everything is weaved together right now. So they're actually yeah. telling a really interesting, fascinating story. And they're sort of introducing the end game villain of the entire franchise finally. And, um, you know, really updating and adding significant twists to the law and uh, just, just everything works together. And it's gorgeous, man. You know, Jeff, if you've got your ultra, ultra, super, ultra, yeah. mega wide monitor, you've got to give this a shot because A, it runs beautifully on almost any piece of hardware, but the new HDR lighting they put in this time and it's so pretty yeah. as well on top of everything else. Yeah, no, and, I, and- I reinstalled Destiny 2 right when I got my super ultra wide monitor because it supports <laughs> it natively and it, it is stunning. It is truly stunning. I mean, I think it looks better than Halo Infinite, frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of that said, I, I need to just bring up some of the negatives, right, about this raid as I've been watching on Twitch and as a fan. It, it bums me out that, well, I think it's cool that Bungie celebrates who's going to be the first. And I, I think it's cool that they make it this big competition and they have the competition week raid and that there are groups that, you know, plan and research and try it's to the, piece. It's the together. wow model. Yes. I love all that. But it really bums me out when it seems like time after time after time, there are bugs and there are glitches and the uh, clan that's in first place gets a force quit in the middle and they lose progress. And I don't know how to fix that, but it it sucks. And I think it's worth saying that it sucks. <laughs> There's it, no way around it. It's It's, I guess, 
you know, they can test it as much as they want, but certain scenarios of just machines connecting with other machines, communicating language across distances, with with specific things happening in games, it's like you just, it's so hard to, to, you know, bug proof these things, especially, especially when you can't test them on mass, right? You can't put it out there and have all these, uh, uh, you know, they had a million pre-orders just for this expansion, I think, going into it. And um, you can't, get that kind of yeah. wide test you know before you, you launch it and, and look destiny's always had it's kind of notorious for its bugs and some of them are more fun than others but certainly every time a game crashes <laughs> it's never fun for, for anyone but you know one, one thing i will say about um so it sucks it, it's bad for the for the day one challenge and everything else but the, the content in general in destiny is every time you get a piece of gear it's instantly saved every checkpoint you hit is instantly saved it's not like if you're if you crash and you boot back up that you've lost hours of gameplay or you've lost you know you it's very rare that you've lost anything more than a few minutes and um and this year not, especially on witch queen where campaign missions have checkpoints which they didn't yeah. used to and you wouldn't know how long they were going into it where you'd be like i'll play this and then life would come into the way and be like can i leave or not <laughs> like, right and, it, and at each checkpoint it rewards you with that sweet sweet loot so you get kind of that raid mini raid feeling of you, yeah. you beat a difficult encounter and then you get some good loot and uh yeah that's new and it's it's also great destiny mm-hmm. to the witch queen it's 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 tempting me I, i'm just trying to i'm enjoying horizon forbidden west so much that i don't want to just abandon that game for the shiny other things that are shiny and other i uh yeah i want to finish things and then move on to that's why i'm like i'm gonna set elden ring aside i'm gonna finish horizon forbidden west i'm loving that game so much um it's just i, I love it but you you kind of jumped off of that game christian i mean I, yes and i don't want to say i jumped off of it but i i plan to go back to it but i set it aside for for new and shiny things and i and yeah. I, I keep doing that i will say though always that new shiny. i think that yeah in ray traced uh in replays <laughs> and uh garage only, only. only in replays yeah um we'll i think that. someone is gonna fight me on this or challenge me i would like to have an intellectual conversation with someone about this uh on our discord or subreddit I am going to suggest that this past 30 days or whatever it is, 45 days has been mm, PlayStation 2's launch. Maybe one of, I'm going to say the, cause why not recency, the best 30 or 45 days for PlayStation ever in terms of Sifu horizon, Elden ring, destiny Two, Gran Turismo seven. Yeah, that is a feast. And the reason I'm saying good. PlayStation is because some of those are PlayStation exclusives. Yeah, and the multi-platform games are great on PlayStation, um, and they also own Destiny. Don't uh, leave out uh, Dying Light Two has been is fantastic as well. Yeah, we have and, we have gotten a number of emails about that. Of people are like, uh, how come you have not mentioned Dying Light Two at all on your podcast? I'm like, yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Dan. There's a running joke Jeff I've, and I have. I've played, <laughs> I played, I think hundreds, of, I a lot of it. Um, I, I really enjoy Dying Light Two. Well, the only reason we haven't mentioned it is because there are. <laughs> many games to talk about. yeah um i i literally have no time for dying light too I, 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 I feel like i'm not uh not not sacrificing too much not playing that game it's just not not my jam um but there are lots of other things and i want to talk about gran turismo 7 but first i want to thank our sponsor squarespace 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 is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website 
engage with your audience and sell anything, your products, content you create, and even your time. I have been using Squarespace for over a decade and I have been recommending it to my friends and family because it is the easiest way to make a website and they have such amazing tools, including member areas where Squarespace makes it easy for creators to monetize their content and expertise in a way that fits their brand. With member areas, you can unlock a new revenue stream for your business and free up time in your schedule by selling access to gated content like videos, online courses, or newsletters. And if you want to make videos, they have a video studio, a a pro-level video studio that you can create pro-level video effortlessly. The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. Do you want to sell products online? They have an online store. Whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling now. It is so simple and so easy to use the Squarespace tools. I couldn't recommend it higher. Head over to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me for a free trial. Free, absolutely free. You don't even give them a credit card. And then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. Save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Great place to buy domains as well. I have bought a number of domains using the awesome front end that Squarespace offers. There is so many, many great tools there. Check it out. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. Offer code Jeff sent me for 10% off. All right, Christian, you and I have both been playing Gran Turismo 7. I got a code from Sony. I have become, as you know, Christian, a racing game fan. And much to my surprise, much to my surprise, uh, single-handedly, uh, <laughs> Forza Horizon turned me into a racing game fan. And that's why it became the DLC game of the year for 2021. Forza Horizon. Uh, and here I am, like, uh, kind of excited about playing a Gran Turismo. Literally, my entire gaming life from a wee wee boy uh, didn't care a, a, a hoot about the, the Gran Turismos. A lot of my friends are very excited about the Gran Turismos. You are one of them. I could never relate. All of a sudden, here I am finding myself excited about a Gran Turismo. What do you think of Gran Turismo 7? Well, I'm just through the moon right now that on this show, you said I was your friend. So that's good enough for me. <laughs> Wait, uh, I'm, I'm, you guys heard that? I, I, was, I said my friends were excited and also you. Oh, classic. <laughs> How could I cannot be your friend? Um <laughs> I want to talk about how I feel about it, but I also am shocked. I, golly, I want to talk to you about it because I am shocked when I saw that you were playing this. I was, <laughs> I was jaw to floor shocked, um, but we'll get into that. I, I'm going to mix metaphors here because I don't want them to be directly comparable to the same thing. Forza Horizon 5, as you mentioned, is, was our game of the year, our favorite game of the year last year. <clears throat> well-earned, well-deserved. I love that franchise with my whole heart. I have raved about it for uh, many iterations of that game. Um, it is a punk rock show. 
right? Like it is, you walk into an incredible band playing and they don't stop to take a breath between sets. It's like your favorite song into your favorite song, into your favorite song. They jump, they, you know, it, it, they trash their guitar at the end and they leave and everything is exhilarating all of the time. And you're like, this is the best night of my life. (laughs) We'll never sleep. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's ACDC. They launch a cannon. You go deaf in one year and you're like, worth it. Like that's, (laughs) what I think a lot of Forza Horizon 5 embodies. Gran Turismo 7 is like the most exquisite moleskin (laughs) journal that has like engraved by like a master engraver who wrote your name and like they created a font, you know, just for you. And the paper, it's not just paper, right? It's like from a tree that was grown specifically to become the pages of this journal with a space pen that can write upside down or underwater <laughs> and any surface. And that pen, you didn't notice it when you opened it, but inside in the cap are your initials like monogrammed around. The grip on the pen is also the first thing you said to your wife when you met her. And in the, it's like, you know, like- I you think you're mixing your metaphor. I like that, but- you know, what one's, I said. A, one's a concert and one's a yes, book? That's, that's how I started this. Okay. I was going to purposefully mix my metaphors. I mean, you, could say, the, you could have said the, uh, you know, the crazy rock concert and then like a, it's a symphony, right? It's a, that's, it's a, but it's, it's, that's why I'm, I'm not doing that. It's I'm a piano, piano concerto. It is. Uh, it's, it's not just that though, right? Because when you get to the last page of the journal, Jeff, is your favorite flower that has been preserved and dried perfectly <laughs> sitting there for you. And you're like, I didn't even know they knew. You're making it sound like there's is. a lot of personalization in Gran Turismo. And, no, uh, it's, it's, it's the attention to detail, the exquisite ah, attention to detail of okay. the California poppy is my favorite flower. Thank you for asking. And my favorite non-vasable flower. If you're going to put it in a vase, I would go for a sunflower. And oddly enough, Grand Turismo knows all that. (laughs) It had both um, the attention to detail. It is okay. So one, uh, I tweeted about this, and then Arnie and I talked about it a little bit on on Twitter. Uh, Did I start looking at used Mazda MX-5s to get back into SCCA (laughs) racing? Yes, I did. Did I not buy one much to my wife? She doesn't know that I was looking. Uh, uh, pleasure. Yes, I did not buy one. Did I start then looking for racing wheels again? Have I bought one? Not yet. Uh, <laughs> it, it is such a wonderful but different game than Forza Horizon 5, where it is teaching you how to actually drive and race in terms of not the mechanic. I want, I think the haptic feedback on the dual sense is some of the best of any game that i've ever played but in terms of understanding driving mechanics and you'll go through the driver's license tests and and learning basic fundamentals of like in and out driving what an s curve is uh what a hairpin curve is why you should brake while you're going straight whenever possible how you can only go brake turn or accelerate you can't do two things at once you'll lose track like it's teaching you these fundamentals often in like a Prius C, you know, <laughs> like, and showing you how fast that really is and how fast that car is. It's what I love about autocross where you're never going to go over probably 40 miles an hour, but that's fast enough because you're driving through a cone course at a football stadium parking lot and you have to navigate it. And the way Gran Turismo, the series, and now again in seven, I think does a lot of that right and highlighting the beauty of cars and car racing and the detail that goes into it. And to mix metaphors further, in Gran Turismo 7, uh, uh, a hairpin turn is an Elden God. An S turn 
And S turn is like, you know, a difficult mob that you find out in the open world. And then like navigating back to back 90 degree turns in Tokyo city is like getting fog teleportation to, you know, an impossible layer where like each turn in Gran Turismo is a boss in the same way in Elden Ring and from games require hmm. you to memorize and understand hmm. and learn what you're doing each turn in real racing and in Gran Turismo requires that level of dedication and what the conditions of the track require relearning and which type of car you're doing. And if you're doing it in a Prius C, it's a totally different experience than if you're going in like a Shelby GT 350 R where it's the same turn, same road, same time of day, but how you approach it has to be fundamentally changed. And Gran Turismo seven captures all of that where I want to look, I'm not going to say that Khalif can't cook because that's Paris's deal. I'm not going to say that. I also, I'm not going to say <clears throat> that I've beaten Khalif in every single driver's license test in Gran Turismo seven, but I will say I've beaten him in most, you know what I mean? Well, um, okay. So I, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to try to parse a lot of this. Uh, there's no parsing. There's it, just praise. My friend. just, uh, just kind of translate it <laughs> to folks that might be like me uh, and try to understand what the heck you're talking about. Um, the, <laughs> the, you, I mean, I think that the the metaphor to Elden Ring is is an interesting one, but I I don't think it's entirely appropriate because it's not required. You kept saying it requ- it's re- it required. It's not required. Uh, y- you could take the corner very very slowly and safely if you wanted to. You could, uh, and you could also <laughs> take the difficulty down a, a bunch of notches, and it would I'm do sorry, all the breaking for you. Nerds on this show. I'm sorry. I'm just. Oh, saying, it, man, I, I don't want people cool thinking guys. that Gran Turismo is the Souls game of of, of driving games because I don't I don't think it is. It is. I will say this. The first thing you see, which I believe is unskippable, which is crazy to me because I couldn't figure out a way to skip it, is a no less than four minute, maybe longer, uh, (laughs) long video that takes you from literally the dawn of human innovation in any medium up to present day, (laughs) which... It's like I'm like, oh, cool. We're going from literally, you know, people uh, in in buggies, wh- you know, horse and buggies, uh, whipping their horses to we're going to get to, uh, you know, the m- modern race cars. But no, no, it's that. But it's also going to space and the Beatles and uh, you know, literally any big moment in human history. Gran Turismo is literally presenting itself at the begin at the beginning of this game in an unskippable cutscene. I think it's skippable. I couldn't figure out eight, how to skip it. I was like, minutes, what, what do long. I push to get out of this nonsense? It, it's, it's, it's beautiful <laughs> and it is um it is uh uh, it is well made. It is it is well presented. It like has all this archival footage, and and I love seeing like old timey videos of people, you know, in in cars and stuff. But like, it is so self important, and it is so up its own patoot that uh, I I was I was like, oh well, that is what we're in, and it's representative of the game, as you have po- pointed out. It is the moleskin uh, journal of of gaming. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to do it just basically a different version of what you just did in the sense that, you know, Forza Horizon 5 starts with like, hey, man, you want to drive down a volcano? Yeah, you do. Let's do this. Woo! And you're d- driving down a volcano and like, ah, I can't believe I'm alive. This is amazing. And uh, 
Gran Turismo 7 is like, the first thing you need to do is drive straight and then stop the car. <laughs> We're going to do that twice on two yeah. separate tests. And it's, I'm, it's and I'm not going to call you out here. But I don't see you on my leaderboard, Jeff. I don't know where you are, but it's not near the top where I am, bro. I don't uh, yeah, see you, you, you go anywhere on better my than the rest of us. I, uh, listen, I th- I think it is admirable what they are making, and I honestly think a game that I can come out of and actually be a better real car driver is extraordinary. And I'm not even really criticizing the game. I think it is an amazing <laughs> achievement. But I mean. The, the the central sort of metaphor the, there's a there's a campaign such as it is that involves going to a cafe and seeing a little icon a little circular icon like a like a facebook icon or of somebody or whatever like a twitter profile pic not an yeah. not a hexagon it's not an nft so you don't need to worry about that it's a circle it's yeah. a circle shape <laughs> uh and it is uh it is a person at a cafe giving you a menu of activities to do, uh, of races to do, and cars to collect or whatever. Uh, and, and and there's like beautiful piano music playing in the background. And then when you complete the menu, you can return to the cafe and they will, as a reward, present you with a lecture about oh, those cars on. that you just <laughs> unlocked. See, so, okay, oh, I'm Which, going to keep interrupting. Uh, no, 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 I am going to be, a, and someone's yelling at me, like, let Jeff finish, and I will say to them, thank you for listening to the show. Um, I, I, yes, what you're saying, nothing you're saying is wrong, but I think your tone would be different if this game were about something you loved. I was thinking about, I, like, someone true. should make someone should make a video game version of Gran Turismo 7. Imagine if it opened with, like, pong and circuits and then also going to the moon because that's important for technology and like all of these things and And then you go into this you go into this oh i'm at this bar and the bartender gives me this menu to go play video games and then after i beat street fighter 2 i get it added to my collection and that's it doesn't i think i think you're describing ready player one (laughs) (laughs) perhaps right and i it, yes, it, the coffee shop part is odd, but that is where I got my most recent car was at a coffee shop after completing a menu of tasks. It wasn't. But this is a celebration of the automobile, yes. the automobile industry, which you don't have a love for. Correct. And I can that see is how it, it just feels foreign and 100%, weird. And- 100% legitimate criticism of my take. And that is, it, it really is a game that believes that the automobile is the most important thing that humans ever achieved. And that celebrates it as such for sure. Yes. yes. And that's great. Like, why not? Like if you're making a video game about any topic, why not decide that that topic is the best thing since sliced bread? I think that's great. I, I, and, and I found myself appreciating it much more than I've ever appreciated a Gran Turismo in the past. I think that speaks more about me than it is about the game per se because the game doesn't really it 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 doesn't really care if you're not having fun it's not about having fun it's about training you bringing you in you better love cars it's 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 excited that you're unlocked this little coupe you know it's like you go oh my god that the uh honda fit is one of the greatest creations of Japanese auto. It's like, you know, that's the kind of tone throughout the whole thing. 
And uh, and more power to it, right? More power to it. I just, you know, I, I'm going to take Force Horizon over this any day. This I mean, it, does it do anything to be accessible to sort of, you know, the, yes, we we just had one of the most accessible racing games, you know, that literally redefined how you know pe- players get into and enjoy racing games. Uh, that does it does it you know meet you halfway 100%. on anything? Yes, there's a whole bunch of settings. When you first turn it on, you can go through and choose at the outset a very generous selection, like auto steer, auto brake. Like you can just go in. You won't get a gold medal on the driver test, and they'll tell you as much. Like, hey, if you have, you know, ABS brakes on or whatever, you got to turn that off. The car will be harder to control, but when you learn how to control it, you'll be able to get faster times out of it. You know, you need to turn steering assist off or auto braking off. And but it has all of those things. It has a driver line. It has brake settings. It will, you know, literally help you drive, kind of like Mario Kart. Eight, I think was the first Mario Kart to introduce it, where if you get too far off the line, it will pull you back and do all those things. You won't be at the top of the leaderboard, but it hopes to then teach you the fundamentals of racing or, or, or this racing game. And I think it's super fun. I mean, I cheered loudly so much that my oldest was like, well, what'd you do? And I was like, got a gold medal on the last part of this driver's test. Like, it's that level I unlocked of- a Honda Fit! <laughs> It's the feat of doing because yeah. yes, everybody's racing in the same car against yeah. the same time. Um, and to see those people on the leaderboard and know what the goal is and to be, I think I was two thousandths of a second off for the longest <laughs> time. And it's like, I, I know I can, mm, I know it. I just got to come out of this last turn better. And I'm there and finding it and accomplishing that was one of the most fun gaming experiences I've had in a long time. And for people I, I'm going in the weeds a little bit. I will back up all the way. You and say, started in the weeds, my friend. Thank you very much. I I would want to say I started in the clouds and came back down to earth. Um, it, uh, it is a return to classic GTA in the way that sport was not. I mean sport, GT, not GTA. GTA, sorry. It's back to GTA 3, dude. <laughs> the craziest part of Gran Turismo is when you get out of the car and start running through the city and uh, avoiding the cops. It's really weird. Yeah. The way they teach you to fire a rocket launcher, to be aware of wind. Um, Gran Turismo, thank you, GT. It is a return to Gran Turismo, classic Gran Turismo in terms of kind of that campaign progression, the driver's license progression, all the unlocking licenses, the way sport wasn't. And it also, I think, fixed a lot what was wrong with six, where seven launches with a good deal of high quality content. Six, or was it A spec? I forget what they called it. Launched with like a lot of cars, but what two thirds of them were PS2 cars or something. And it was yeah, like, yeah, this that was weird. But this you know, good. And this of, has all of that stuff, and it's great. One of the things I remember the Gran Turismo franchise was always famous for is its soundtrack. Mm-hmm. You got to admit the soundtrack's weak in this one. I don't know. It's different. It's, it's, it's There's there's some great songs in it, but it does include jazz and piano. I I do think the not, some of the I'm new a, modes. I'm not opposed to jazz and piano. I'm just saying that like there's no no bangers. I think okay. there are some bangers. What I don't like is the music melody or whatever they call it mode, where like you're driving and it's like kind of like an arcade yeah. game, but the countdown is like the BPMs of the music. I think, and every time yeah. the beat hits, you lose a second, and that's Weird. like playing to like a, a very odd selection because gt has had bangers in the past like there are incredible songs that launched with this the trailers of these games that i think fans of the series will have their favorites of over the years but this is like classical hit two and you're just like okay what am i what am i racing here to yeah um i i also will say 
visually it's a it's pretty but it's not eye popping and the fact what? that that you can't have ray tracing on while you're actually playing the game is is a is a bummer uh it's only ray tracing is only on for replays yeah, replays are when you're kind of viewing in the garage everything but racing racing is a lock 60 no matter what mode you choose yeah. and you're never gonna get the ray trace I, man compared to so the moral you, of this story to, is you should have given me your code and i should have saved 70 bucks no. <laughs> compared to horizon i mean uh forza horizon 5 you think this is as pretty as that game yes okay. i mean it's it's so part of it is racetracks aren't attractive right right like look at real pictures of these racetracks and you're like well that looks dull yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a racetrack also, also it plays dull no i'm sorry i'm being i'm being unnecessarily harsh and i think this is an, a, a stunning achievement for for car lovers and that's clearly the market the people that it's aiming at I mean, it's it's unfair of me to even level my criticisms no it's not it's like people not liking elden ring like this it isn't for you and i'm super glad you tried it because right you gave it a shake after Forza Horizon Five, but even within the racing genre, there's I mean, there's a certain a there's wide a certain, spectrum. There's a certain appreciation that I have for it that I probably wouldn't have had even five years ago, uh, and I think that's because I've played more racing games, more traditional racing games, instead of just my you know my burnouts that I have enjoyed over the years. Um, and I, I, you know, there is a sort of serene, kind of zen like feeling of playing this game because you're in the cafe and you're mm-hmm. just everything and then you know when you unlock a car it like shows the car parked in the trees and it's just everything is just kind of very zen and very some, lovely you yeah. know and, and i appreciate yeah. that right I, I like games like that and i played a lot more of this than i thought i would necessarily um but it also you know i, I just I, if you're like me and you are kind of finding your way into racing games, understand that this is this is an acquired taste. This is the this is the fine wine version of of racing games. Yeah, it's it's definitely different than Forza Horizon. I mean, it's, it's more akin to Forza Motorsport, right? Like that's yeah. the Forza version that, of this. You know, even Forza Motorsport like kind of brings you into the game in a really exciting way and is kind of trying to be. This is this is really like sit down you need to learn about cars <laughs> you know and, and, and learn the tracks yeah grant yeah. forza horizon 5 i love but it's rare that i ever replay a track right like i'll rewind where i messed up and try to do better but i won't go oh, i really love that race i'll go do it again grand turismo 7 it's like i'm going to run tokyo expressway over and oh, i've played it in a, whatever however many iterations of grand turismo it's been in and i keep overcooking you know, the 10th turn, uh, and I'm going to play it. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And I will say that the Tokyo Expressway in, in particular, the haptic feedbacks on that course, because there's um, metal grates in the freeway on that part of Tokyo and the way the haptics feel. I remember whatever Forza it was when the Xbox One came out and they had like rumble triggers. And I was like, and they showed that with Forza when you like drop off the tarmac a little bit and the trigger can rumble what the haptic feedbacks do in that regard and the adaptive triggers of like forcing on the brake or dumping the gas is absolutely incredible. And I think um, go to a friend's house that has it and just to experience the haptic implementation. They need to, they need to 
come out with a racing wheel that has that kind of feedback. Yeah. You know, I think that would be Jeff, they they have good racing wheels. Do they have a it, racing wheel with haptic feedback that with PS5? Well, it's not that level of haptics, but it's like a motor in the core well, that's where what you I'm put saying. the wheel so it that fights level against of haptics, it. bro. Force resist pedals. Anyway, uh, the last thing I'll, I'll say about this my wife. is that I never took myself out of the cockpit view in Gran Turismo 7. And in Forza, I was never I never stayed in the cockpit view. I only was ever behind my car. And I think that's telling, right? Mm. In one game it is a video game, and the other game I'm driving, you know. And uh and I think that's that's a compliment to Gran Turismo 7. I think that says a lot cuz Jeff got in, tapped his GPS, and said, Tesla, take me here, and was very disappointed when he just crashed into a wall in his Prius C. Did, did, did I read correctly that they have they have a $40 DLC car for sale already? That, I think there's a, more the, than one. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The monetization, Dan, you are correct, is, is was going to be the nit I have with this the same way for Destiny's Raid. When this game was under review, the currency paid monetization was not turned on. Now it is. The game, for where I am, many hours in, is is pretty generous with unlocks and feels pretty standard to past uh, Gran Turismo's in terms of earning credits for unlocks. But if you don't want to do that, there's a button right below it that says, or get more credits at the PlayStation Store. And the conversion for some of those cars, they're not as bad as real used car prices, but they're bad. It's expensive. It's a shame. Hmm. All right, that's Gran Turismo 7. Um, we're coming up on time here, but I definitely could not have Dan on without talking about a quick VR game I'm excited <laughs> to hear yeah. him talk about. Dan, I see here on the show notes that you wrote the words lone echo two and then an exclamation point so i uh i wanted to give it a shot on my on my quest Two, like connected to my to my pc and i guess i i I don't have the necessary horsepower even though i have a 3080 because it was it was still kind of stuttering a lot Mm. but I, I believe you you're a fan of the of the Lone Echo games. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was the way they do traversal in those games. The kind of hand over hand grabbing and pushing in zero G works so well that I'm just surprised other games haven't mimicked it yet, or yes. they haven't seen somebody else do something similar because it's it's intuitive and you never get sick because you feel the momentum as a sense of your own propulsion and the reaching and grabbing works well and it just feels like. You know that uh, that, that there's a bunch of zero G games out there, and I'm just surprised more haven't kind of, you know, maybe it's a matter of not wanting to copy copy another game, but I just feel like they've, they 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 knocked it out the park with that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've said on this show that uh, I'm ready for echo likes. You know, give me give yeah. me some echo likes. Let me make this a subgenre because it it is that awesome. And uh, the Lone Echo Two just won a, a couple more awards uh, this last week. Um, and it is well deserved, man. It, yeah. I, I hope that you can uh, help you get into a place where you're able to play it without stuttering because it is uh, it's an amazing, amazing experience. The first one was my game of the year. The year it came out, this was on my top five last year, and it it is. There's nothing else like these games. It, it, they're really extraordinary experiences of pure discovery, exploration, dealing with an AI 
you are you are the the AI and the, yeah. the human being is the person you're talking to in the game, but it feels like a so real human being. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. Uh, I wonder if it's just yeah. they have a hard time getting people into Sub Zero G experiences or Zero G experiences because every game's copied. There's so many the climb alikes, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every, and I wonder. Kind of borrowed that basically put it in yeah does like do, do folks think that lone echo only works in that zero g environment where you're kind of moving and propelling but i'd love a planet of the apes you know version where that's how you're traversing along the trees or something like that oh, I think yeah it'd be yeah really incredible yeah, yeah i mean gosh the, the, the potential for doing something like that where you're an, a, a flying animal or you're you know spider-man or <laughs> I mean, there's lots of sort of Spider-Man experiences in VR, uh, which are all awesome. Um, Windjammer 2 is one of my favorites, uh, but there's a lot of cool swinging in VR. While, while we're in Jeff's VR corner, how about those PSVR 2 uh, specs that everyone's talking about? Yeah, man, I'm excited. <laughs> I can't wait. I, I, you know, I guess the rumor is that it's not happening this year, but it'll be early uh, next year. But I, I'm still hopeful that we'll see it this year. I, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about that headset. I think that's going to be the one, man. I know everybody's bummed that it still has a cord. I just don't think that's a, a big problem. I, you know, the, the the difference in the quality of experience for connecting, uh, you know, having the horsepower of a computer nearby cannot, you know, to, to try and either A, transmit the, the video and audio wirelessly or B, just ha- limit it to whatever hardware you can fit inside the, the, the you know, the mm-hmm. device itself. I feel like, I don't know what the happy medium is. I don't know how you how you solve that problem of having something local in proximity that's powering your experience, but not having wires. Um, well, streaming. I mean, there's there's ways to stream it, and people kind of hoping that the it would be streamed from the PS5. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that's tricky as well, and and you don't want to have the experience you're having where it's kind of stuttering and, and stuff like that. So I, I think having one wire is not a bad thing and i think it's going to provide a really gorgeous experience uh, i think i think the stuttering is a byproduct of just how difficult it is to to have a connected vr experience of the quest 2 i feel like you know yeah. is it exactly super user friendly to to hook up a pc to the quest the quest 2 wants to be played on its own standalone yeah um and there's a lot of great games for it I just need to know which racing wheel is going to be supported in GT7's VR mode where I can see my real my wheel in real life cuz yeah. I want the one that has the lights on it. If I'm buying a wheel, babe, I'm buying a wheel. If I buy a wheel, when I, hate I buy it when you a call wheel, me babe on on the show. I'm glad that you think I'm talking to you um, <laughs> cuz we are friends as said on this episode. <laughs> but that'd be so cool. I love no stuff like backs. that that like Exactly, no take backs. Jeff edits that out. It's all <laughs> I text Dan. Dan, There's, you heard him, didn't I'm you? I'm there. I'm witness. Definitely take backs. That's what everything is. All uh, right. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. Dan Jevons, it has been so much fun having you on the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, bucket list uh, can take that off now. Yeah. Always been, always been a fan of the show. Well, thank you. It means a lot to me and, and us. Uh, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff that you're working on. Oh, gosh. Why would they want to? Um, I get – I have Twitter. <laughs> I'm uh, at Jet Jevons, J-E-T-J-E-V-O-N-S. And uh, outside of that, there, there's the DJ2 Entertainment website, dj2entertainment.com. And, um, yeah, you know, like – Gratefully, the stuff we've been doing recently has been making it into the trade, so other people have been spreading that word around for us. But um, 
that the the company website would have all the latest updates on the projects we're working on. Incredibly cool stuff. I'm I'm so excited to see the next projects, especially uh, because of how great Sonic turned out. So I, I think you guys are on a roll, and I can't wait to see what's next. Cool, Christian Spicer. What about you? What do you got going on this week? Yeah, Dan's just like you can go to Deadline or Variety or your local. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> your local theater or Prime Video, or you can go to rent Sonic. On, you know, wherever. Yeah. Uh, um, this week, uh, well, one reminder to folks again after this, there will be that uh, bonus content of Alex and I talking about Doom, and then I, I am I keep getting this is a newsletter, tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. I write long form about games and I've been working on a thing about living with live service games. And I'm glad that we, we I'm glad we had Dan on this episode and we got to talk about his relationship with destiny because that's kind of what I'm wrestling with. And I keep editing it of like, um, and maybe folks on discord or the subreddit would love to chime in. I'd love to include some of those thoughts about what's the ideal state for a live service game. Cause I think they all try to thread that needle of being accessible to new players, especially when big new content drops or the world flips and Fortnite and the rocks mm-hmm. revealed or whatever, or the witch queen comes out, but also being satisfying to folks who have been playing forever and who's your key demo and how does that live service game navigate that? And that's kind of what I've been wrestling with. And when that is done and my thoughts are finished, <laughs> that will go out uh, through the newsletter, which again is at tinyletter.com slash christian spicer and everything else you'll find on twitter which is just at spicer you can also follow me on twitter i'm at jeff canada which is spelled with two n's and one t and i have uh, several other shows for you to check out you can check out the film cast which is where i talk about movies and tv shows um that is a, a ton of fun i think we're doing the batman this week which is a, a kind of a, a lively discussion we have already recorded because uh we're very divided on that on that movie on the show. Uh, and I do a comedy science show called we have concerns. You can find that at we have concerns.com. I also do the dungeon run, which is a live play dungeons and dragons show. It's my storytelling medium where I tell a big, crazy fantasy story with a bunch of uh, awesome players. Uh, this last week was a, was a doozy. I don't know if you've so seen good. my Twitter. So good. Oh, thank you. Uh, you can find that at, uh, well, you can find it on on uh, on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can find it where you get podcasts as an audio podcast. And you can also find it on Twitch, twitch.tv slash The Dungeon Run. I also do the uh, fan-controlled football show at twitch.tv slash FCF. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Dan, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Um, yeah, I do. So I know it's not this week, but recently released from Night Dive is a game called Power Slave Exhumed. I guess if it's allowed mm. to be a, if it's allowed to be a, a game, it's a, it's an older it's an older game, a build engine game from the nineties, and it's it's the reason I got into game design. It was actually I went to work for Lobotomy Software um, after playing this and just being blown away by it. It's a very early kind of prototype for Metroid Prime. It's a first-person uh, shooter adventure game um, with kind of levels and access barred by by items that you get uh, with an Egyptian theme, and I, I adored it. Um, and uh, they've done a great job. Night Dive have done a great job remastering it, remaking it on pretty much every platform, but specifically the Switch, which is why I, I you know enjoyed playing it again. Um, 
So that's out there. What is it called again? Uh, Power Slave Exhumed. Power um, Slave Exhumed. Oh, well, cool. the, it was called Power Slave in America, and it was mm. called Exhumed in Europe. So I guess they kind of combined the two together. The game itself is a remix of the, the Saturn and PlayStation versions. Very cool. Very cool. I'm not aware of that game. Yeah. I've that done a great job with bringing those old engine uh, games back. Yeah, yeah. They, they really have. You guys should, at some point, you guys should talk about that because they've done some classics. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Christian, we are going to be talking at length during the Patreon exclusive paid DLC show uh, about our parting gifts. But what is yours? Yeah, uh, not to steal any of the thunder from a film cast discussion, which I'm sure is great, but I'm going to recommend The Batman. And then, Jeff, I want to have a conversation with you about DC characters in general and kind of what they mean to us in building franchises. I'm very excited to, to have that chat with you. And I am going to recommend a um, a TV show that is on right now. It is called Our Flag Means Death. If you haven't watched it yet, check it out. Uh, we will talk more about those in the paid DLC show uh, with special guest Danish Syed, who's going to hang out with us uh, for that bonus content. He's going to have some awesome suggestions as well and all kinds of cool stuff we'll dig into. Uh, he's great. You know him from being on the show many, many times. Uh, so stick around for that. But we also got a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Richard in Texas who writes... For anyone searching for a parting gifts fix, let me suggest the podcast Suggestible. It's James, a.k.a. Mr. Sunday Movies, less successful podcast with his wife, Claire, where they recommend things to each other each week, from books to poetry to movies and TV shows. This couple's banter is delightful, and they have something for everyone. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Thank you, Richard. Again, that is called Suggestible, and it is a podcast. If you'd like to have your parting gift on the show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. And again, if you're curious about hearing more in-depth discussion of our parting gifts and all kinds of extra content, including quick questions from the audience and more, you can get that as a subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash DLCpod. There's also ad-free episodes and other perks. Uh, it is how this show continues. So. Give it a shot. Check it out. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to our patrons, the hype train level patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. Get their names shouted out at the end of our episodes. And Christian, uh, I believe uh, you challenged me to uh, a particular style. Yeah, I mean, this is less of a shout out this time and more of a uh, fighting game intro, right? Like you, we all have that image in our that's image that sound in our head of when a fighter's name is introduced. So I think this week it needs to be like Jason Novak, Clifton no, Satterfield, Octavia. you, <laughs> Taylor Wigert. Christian, break, break. P.S. We. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah, some variety, right? They got a variety. That's the smash introduction. It's like, yeah, Chad, <laughs> Josh Peak, Peter Oldberg, Nick Strauss Klein. Oh, that's good, man. Okay, I got up my game. You're winning. Uh, <laughs>
Sledge the Watasha Mahetni. <laughs> Michael Stadler. Michael Buck. Jackson. Yeah, well done. Well done. Mike Lombardo. Travis. Uh, oh, I can't. Hold on. No, I, I need to kill my uh, NVIDIA broadcast to proper, properly do the Spice Man voice. So you are welcome that I can't do it. Spice Man. Silencer. Soren Silk. My favorites are the ones where they just kind of fall dead at the end, right? You hear this. It's like this awesome character and you're sitting there and it's like, Albert Verhildildos. <laughs> and you're like wait what Did, is that the character's name <laughs> yick jonathan forever. zachary white Stu gus nate <laughs> <laughs> kevin brazel Jenny. Ben. Scott Hughes. Lloyd Nance. Neil Shaw. Dan. Balmy No. The, the Switch Bit. Malcolm King. Awesome U.S. Movies. Mark Goland. Jimmy Radcliffe. Jonathan Butney. Mitchell Ness. Will with one L. Harris. <laughs> Jeff Luxack. Chris Zacharias. Matt Bradley. You know, I got to do another one where the end falls off because those are my favorite. <laughs> Jonathan Talbert. Those are NBA jams. Those aren't fighting games. Those are more yeah, NBA yeah. jam, but I love them so much. Victor Valenzuela. Scooby Diesel. Cheesy Bob. Adam Denby. There you go. Hope you enjoyed those. Thank you, Hype Train patrons, for your support of our show. We are super grateful for your extremely generous support. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Feeling This, a video game discussion series with Alex and Christian. Depending on when you are listening to this, you might be like, series, this is the first one. And I will tell you, uh, dear friends, that there have been others. Maybe you've heard them, maybe not. But we are feeling this out. And by we, I mean myself. And my name is Christian Spicer and my friend, Alex Salman. And we are feeling this. Today, we are going uh, to hell, right, Alex? Is that where we're going? <laughs> Oh, we are big time. Yes. Uh, yeah. Hi, Christine. How you doing? I'm excited. Uh, yes. First, whatever episode this is, either way, it's fun. 
Um, and yeah, I guess we're we're talking about some Doom today, and and what makes Doom feel good, and 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 why why we love it. And we're going uh, way back machine. We're getting in our hot tub time machine, and not Doom twenty sixteen or Doom Eternal, mm-hmm. which maybe will come up. I don't know. I'm not going to say we can't go there, but as you mentioned, what makes Doom kind of old school Doom feel good, and, and I mm-hmm. guess to some extent because it did feel so good it gave us doom 2016 like those games don't exist in a vacuum um and and doom eternal but because of this legacy this pedigree of what this franchise is um here we are all these years later with a doom guy amiibo or me costume and smash Mm -hmm. brothers like there is a (laughs) nintendo made game where you can essentially play as doom guy beating up mario (laughs) (laughs) Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that, how times have changed and and you, you you make a very good point about the fact that doom is not just doom anymore it's doom original it's doom 2016 and it's many other types of of doom i'm sure there'll be a card i'm sure there's card games I and mean, there's board games there's everything about doom um and and given its legacy of kind of starting in some ways starting the i mean you know a couple of games came before it but in many ways popularizing the first person shooter genre um, I think it's a really interesting game to look at now in relation to the way not only the franchise has changed, but the way the genre has changed and what Doom still does really well and still why it still feels really good. And perhaps also ways in which it could feel better and ways that now we can reflect back on it and go, ah, oh, yeah, maybe now things have moved on and they feel better now than maybe they did back then. Not that the game doesn't still feel great. It does. It's great to play it again. But um, yeah. yeah, a couple of interesting things about it, I think. Yeah, we're, I'm going to start us on a tangent, and then I know you have places uh, you want to go, and I want to go there as well. But to me, recently now, Doom, um, I mentioned this on the video game podcast I do with Jeff Kanata, DLC. I often go back and rewatch seasons three and or just four of the AMC show Halt and Catch Fire, because I feel like that sh- it's so good. That show mm-hmm. captures the highs and lows of creative creation i think in Mm -hmm. really interesting ways and so forgive me uh if i get it wrong i think it's season four Mm -hmm. doom comes out Mm -hmm. in in the show and there's this there's these wonderful moments of your main the main cast kind of not wanting to like it because it's just it's not tits and ass but it's you know, it's 90s aesthetic, right? And they were trying mm-hmm. to be something more than that. And it's like, oh, it's just violence. It's gore. It's Spencer's gifts, <laughs> you know, or whatever <laughs> at the mall. And then they're like, it's not that. And then each one of them kind of in different episodes, you see them playing it. Like you're playing Doom. Yeah, it's really good. And just like, I love that morsel and that reality of, I think, how the game shaped gaming is it did it was so fun to play yes it was violent and that maybe got you know eyes on the screen but the shareware release mm-hmm. the passing it to friends mm-hmm. oh my gosh you have to play this alex you've never played anything like this before the speed all of that stuff and i feel like that moment in halt and catch fire or those moments represents to me so much of what the game is this thing that you had to play, you mm-hmm. had to play. And then mm-hmm. once you did, despite your, your effort not to love it, you were hooked. Absolutely. Because nothing else felt like it. Um, and I, I 
I can't stand the V word visceral, right? It's it's thrown around way too much. But you know, the way that Doom feels and the way that it makes you feel um, was you know unique at that time. Nothing had connected with you in that way. And I think that's a really interesting discussion point because a lot of people talk about violence in video games, especially gun based games and i have a real issue with those personally you know celebrating gun violence etc the thing that's really interesting to me though is video games are about interaction right they're about pressing buttons and having it the the thing that you want to happen happen and in many ways guns are the most immediate example of interaction right when i press the button there's a connect there's a chain reaction of events that occur that respond as a result of my interaction and doom in its simplest form i think which you know it is the original doom is in its simplest form um encapsulates that so well right there's so many feedback loops that even though in many ways when you look at the weapons the way they function the projectiles they're very basic now sure that act of pressing a button and seeing an, a, res- a result of your of your decision is is perfectly simplified, simply encapsulated in Doom. And yeah. I don't think any game... I mean, I loved Wolfenstein before that, which I think did a great job too. You know, there's other, you know, lower res, older first-person games that are interactive and fun. But there's something about Doom's recipe. I think there's a few elements to sort of talk about there that make that interaction just feel so good. And I think a lot of people like to assume that we're all sociopaths because we like firing guns and blowing people's heads off. But I think actually it's about that point, right, is that guns are so good, such good interaction objects in these games, especially in a first person shooter, you know, a a dimension that we'd barely seen when Doom came out. Right. There were hardly any first person games. Um, I think in many ways it's like that perfect encapsulation of that moment. Right. Interaction in the form of weapons and guns. I I think you make a great point. I I think also. Um, you're seeing not the inverse, but the expansion of what you're talking about now with VR, where mm. uh, Lone Echo is such a fun game to screw a nut into the hull of a spaceship mm-hmm. or whatever, um, or weld something shut. And it's because what VR allows is that air quote real life interaction to be represented accurately on screen so there again as you mentioned for the gun and shooting in doom there's that one-to-one uh reaction to your actions mm-hmm. and pre-vr um even pre-analog or, or um triggers on controllers seeing a thing on your screen and then pushing a button and seeing a thing shoot out it's very clear what you're doing and seeing that reaction. And I think the other example that existed back when doom first came out, that's similar. Uh, and the reason they were so popular are driving games. Cause again, it doesn't take a logic leap for our dumb lizard brains, right? To go a is gas B is brake. That's very similar to real life driving, so to speak. Whereas a to jump. Yes, we all do it a million times and we love those games, but it's not that direct one-to-one mental connection of see do have this air quote real life interaction play out on screen i couldn't agree more i I think the fact that you bring up driving games and we should definitely do a driving game at some point on one of these just for the soundtracks alone of the absolutely yeah (laughs) (laughs) some blue blue skies um yeah i i think driving games are also a great example of interaction yeah you know not just like you say in terms of one-to-one relationship you can grep what it is very easily but the fact that 
driving games are you know a call and response right there's a lot of throttle and brake drift and steer and read the track you know there's a lot of interaction elements there and you're sort of constantly in control um which you know makes the game a, a very interactive and at the end of the day games are about interaction so i think any you know and, and there's many and i don't think interaction is limited to just i think we talked about this on dlc right i don't think interaction is limited to just shooting guns and driving right you can slam a card on the table in hearthstone you can um you know interact with a menu in a really smooth way and that can still be interact good interaction um but at the end of the day is all call and response press a button see something happen and the more interesting that is and the more detailed and readable that is the better the that interaction is and i think that's almost the foundation to me at least as a you know as a game developer is kind of what makes is the foundation of what makes a game feel good right is it's good call and response when i do something i understand the result of it um, and and often we exaggerate that response so that you feel mm-hmm. even more good about even doing the simplest of things. Um, I think that's what video games ultimately. I think at their core, I think that's what video games are. Yeah, uh, and and I think I've distracted you enough. You 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 wanted to get into Doom, and then I keep pulling on these tangents. So <laughs> that's good uh, stuff. I'll, I'll give you one thread back in, and you can take it if you want, or just go somewhere else. Uh, Doom popularized the first person shooter genre, first person genre, but definitely shooter genre uh even though as you mentioned wolfenstein 3d made by the same company came out years before it um what about doom felt so much better than than wolfenstein like why wasn't wolfenstein the zeitgeist moment history has proven we love killing nazis in video games we also love killing demons but wolfenstein had all the had all the ingredients but yet it's not the thing that that people kind of latched on to yeah, that is a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. I think I think my my first reaction is a certain amount of timing, right? I think Doom came at a really good time in the industry, and it was te- it was a technology showcase. It was delivered in a really interesting way, same as Wolfenstein shareware, but um, and it generated a lot of buzz. And I think Wolfenstein wasn't really able to do that in the same way. I think it's better in every what you could argue better in every way than wolfenstein right the weapons are better the environments are better the ais are better the level design's better i think i would argue faster, as much as i love i feel like faster. Which to use yep. your favorite word it's more visceral <laughs> <laughs> love it uh yes it is it's definitely more more right more in general um and i think it just yeah i think i think there's a big element of timing you know it was the perfect combination of technology innovation style um and you know and and quality that that landed landed it in a way that made such a huge splash from a company that sort of earned that reputation through previous you know um through through previous games so i think when you look at the weapons you look at the enemies you look at the the interactions the player has between the enemies and you know and, and the level design and the um uh, even though I'm thinking about the level design is probably relatively similar to Wolfenstein, right? Fine key, open doors, monster closets, etc. It's sort of all amped up to a level that that makes it sort of land a lot better. Um, 
Yeah, I, yeah. I think level design is, is a big one. And I think, mm. um, as I mentioned up top, you know, we've done a number of these uh, as we're feeling out this whole thing. And I'll, eventually I'll quit mentioning that as we just kind of find a thing we like and release them. But um, <laughs> level design goes a big way toward, I think, kind of what we're talking and celebrating here is the feel of a game. And you can have incredible animations and frame perfect, uh, you know, pixel perfect response to inputs and zero latency or whatever and all that stuff. But if the area in which you're navigating isn't enjoyable, I think that goes a big way in detracting from the feel of a game. And when I remember Wolfenstein 3D, I remember an annoying maze where every corridor looked the same. I've replayed Wolfenstein 3D, probably not in five years, but, you know, air quote recently from from its release, certainly. And I'm oversimplifying it. It's not just the exact same tile pattern everywhere, but I still find it confusing. And I think that is part of its design is that you'd go into a room and it'd be like, oh, there's Alex. Hey, Alex. Then I go, wait, is that the room that Alex was in? Or is this a different room? Then you go into a room and there's 10 Nazis and you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. and then you, but not the key. And you kind of, kind of keep that straight. When I think of Doom, that's not the same level that jumps out in my head. Doom has a flow to it. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes they're circular, like you'll come, you'll go up and around and back, but there's to Doom, when I think of it, it's hall it's hallways with quads. Mm-hmm. And it ha- it has those breaks from the tight hallways where you get into the quad environments mm-hmm. and you have that. You know, it's almost a precursor to the Halo sandbox, right? Where you mm-hmm. have a little mm-hmm. bit more room, and I think to show off that speed. And yes, as you mentioned, you're getting a key, opening a thing, doing a thing. But I do think Doom's level design, as you mentioned, is a big part of what elevated that game and, and cemented it in people's memories as something special. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think the the level of texture variety that they have to distinguish the spaces better, the verticality they have that you know that Wolfenstein didn't really have any of, um, the dynamic environments with you know walls and and areas that can open up and close and platforms that can raise and lower, right? Relatively simplistic now, but at the time very cutting edge technology that you know nobody else really had. Um, and I also think the the visual fidelity of the AI as well and allowing you to kind of appreciate what they are, what they can do to you, how to sort of play the game with them from the imps to the shotgun dudes, from the pistols to obviously the big dudes, the, the pinkies and you know, all those bigger guys. Um, you know, there's very clear distinction, which I think, you know, going back to the, the Nazis and Wolfenstein, right, there wasn't as much distinction between them. They were relatively simplistic, if I remember rightly. Um, so I think there's an element of kind of diversity within Doom from level and texture and environments to AI and weapons that I think, again, is just sort of the whole thing amped up and executed at a better level, um, which makes it just more, you know, which makes it feel better and makes it more fun to to engage with. Yeah, when I think of Doom, as you mentioned, the weapons, I, I, I think of the shotgun. Mm-hmm. And I also think of the center aligned weapon. And now the shotgun remains as popular as ever. Uh, <laughs> you know, every shooter has a good has a good feeling shotgun. It feels like um, the center aimed or positioned weapon is something that games have moved on from. I think in 2016 you can turn that on as like a option mm-hmm. to kind of have that again as like a retro nod. But for the most part, games have gone for this. I hate to use the word realistic, but I guess 
because no one's as I'm gesturing, then no one can see me. But like, even in a first person shooter where the gun is kind of off center, but your cursor's on the screen, that's still not where people carry a firearm like up <laughs> right in the center of their vision. But they've kind of gone for this askew. You can see it bouncing when they're running. Um, and and I wonder if the designers at ID felt we weren't ready for that kind of like early film, like really early film. There was a concern that if you cut from a train, you know, moving to someone waiting at the train station, people would be too stupid to, <laughs> we, we can't comprehend that. Cause that's not how life works. We have to go on yep. the train to the station and that center aligned gun. And I've read some stuff online about it, but I find it so fascinating that that was, to some extent, graphical limitation, and but then also accuracy of aim, um, lending itself to that feel of see, shoot, kill. <laughs> and I guess simplify that brain pathway? I don't know. I think that is a good point, yeah, because especially given that you don't have any, you know, why aiming, right? It's all straight to center screen. Then, yes, I would imagine... It'd be interesting to time travel and ask, I don't know if Romero could even remember now, but like that idea of having a weapon that kind of draws to center screen from the right hand side versus one that very clearly draws from, you know, from from center of UI bar to center screen was probably a bigger leap, right? That that, that was the cleanest way to do it. That's what they did. It, that's what they did in Wolfenstein. Um yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that, about how even that is seems primitive now, but you know, at that time was probably a, a, the easiest solve. And I think it also speaks to, you know, on a related point, like how primitive the weapons are right now when we build guns in games, they're super intricate and they reload and there's all pieces that move on them. And, you know, they you manipulate them in really interesting ways. When you look at, I mean, I think this is going to become a catchphrase for me for this show, but when you look at the sprite sheet <laughs> for Doom, Right, the shotgun is is basically four frames, right? It's idle, fire, you know, and a couple of frames for real for fire, and that's it. It's it's very simple. Um, and now that would be, you know, that would be ridiculous. You would spend a lot more time, you know, kind of animating that weapon. But back then, it was fine. It was good enough. Um, and 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 you know, so again, I think it's a good example of like they did enough to make it feel great at the time but it wasn't necessarily you know now when you look back on it it seems very primitive but when you play it it still is good and it, and just sorry just quickly on a related note like what i noticed when i played doom again is you spend a lot less time looking at the weapon and more at the end result right you you yeah. see the the effects on the enemies you see and i think that's true of any first person shooter right you're really focused on the center screen you're not necessarily looking at the weapon but the weapon is a is a more is, is it plays more of a part in something like Battlefield or Doom 2016 than it did back then because it is a more intricate, more involved, more like you know so many games have that mode where you can like pop the weapon in front of you and like look at it right like it is part of the the experience the feel of the combat and back then it really wasn't as much way less it was more just about what happens at the end result and how the enemies respond and you know and what the effect of firing the weapon is which i think is is an interesting like the rocket launcher is literally two frames it's idle and slightly pulled back and that's it but that's fine it works because the rocket's cool and it has a really big effect and back you know it works and still going back now it still feels good so yeah, it's kind of interesting how some of those early primitive things worked just enough and we've sort of expanded beyond them now with technology. 
Well, now they need to be able to sell you the charm to dangle on the end of your gun. You know, you <laughs> Absolutely, gotta, yeah. So the skin. <laughs> you got, you got to have the gotcha to unlock and, yeah, the skin to grind for. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think how to ask this because uh, it's something that I've been wrestling with. We've been wanting to talk to him for a couple of weeks now and schedules have, have finally allowed us to do it. Uh, so I've had enough time to think about it, so I apologize for still hemming and hawing. My kids are nine and six. So they have not played original doom. They've seen me play it, but they haven't played it. I think that's fine. Um, d- does doom still feel good? That's the base. I can't, I, I think yes, but I don't know if that's rose tinted glasses. Like other games we've talked about. I will die on that hill or other games. I know we're going to talk about. I will die on the hill and be like, this is still good. This, this still feels good. I don't, no, if doom does i feel like you're saying it does and i feel like i think it does but i don't know if that's true <laughs> i i think it still does because at the end of the day it still ticks enough of the fundamental boxes that make something feel good um feel good right the there's enough feedback from the weapon there's enough feedback from from the the destination from the targets you hit um that makes the act of firing the weapons and being successful with them or not very clear, um, which again, right, go back to that original statement about games about interaction and call and response and clear outcomes to your input. Um, I think Doom still ticks those boxes. Has Doom 2016 done it better? Have other games <laughs> done it better? Definitely. Um, but I think there's also something interesting about going back to something that is more stripped down and more, you know, pure, if you could like, if you could say that, right. It's more focused on specifics due to limited technology. Um, that, that sort of highlight the, the, the smaller elements. And I think feel, we've talked about this before. I think feel is not one thing. It's a recipe if often of a lot of tiny little things that all come together that are easily missed. And, and if they're not all there, at least to some extent, I don't think things feel great. And I think Doom has just enough of those still that firing a shotgun at an imp, you know, who's just about to wind up for a fireball because he has enough animations to give you enough anticipation to make that moment interesting, right? And landing it and hearing the feedback when you haven't killed them and going, oh no, he's still going to get that fireball off. And versus when you do kill him and he, brrr, he goes down, like those things still, those still feel good, right? Those are still the basics of interaction that feel great. Um, and and I, and I think Doom, Doom Two, again, interesting. Looking at the sprite sheet, I didn't realize that Doom and Doom Two is just a map pack. Really, it's like the weapons. I know they added a new, a new weapon, but fundamentally, all the old weapons are the same. There's new enemies and stuff like that, but it's really just a map pack. Me and my kiddish brain, when I played Doom Two, I was like, it's all new. They've redone everything. Nah, not really. They just added a few things. Very smartly, they added a few things. And the game still, you know, still feels great. And the new enemies make those interactions more interesting than they were in the first game. Deeper, more involved. They make your movement more interesting. You know, the chain gun guys put pressure on you versus the shotgun guy. Um, the caco demons put more pressure on you than the imps do. You know, so again, they've kind of evolved that dance, that combat dance of like what makes landing the hit that bit more satisfying when you're under pressure, which is again a big part of feel, um, a big part of that recipe. Um, I think it still, I think it still feels great, and I found myself losing more time than I expected playing it again <laughs> um, across three different versions. I played the 32x version, the SNES version, and the 
Game Pass version of Doom, which is a little updated from the from the original, but um, just to sort of get a comparison, and there were some interesting things there. So yeah, I think they all they all still feel good to some to some extent, definitely. Man, uh, I wasn't expecting you to say the 32x version. I worked some extra jobs as a kid to uh, f- to save up to pinch and save for a 32x. And mm-hmm. the reason why was Doom was a day one game. And yeah, Doom was on SNES. And yeah, I had it, you know, the shareware version on PC. But that 32X version, that was going to be Star Wars Arcade and Doom. It was worth it, even though, you know, Sega, Sega could have kicked me in the crotch back then. And I would have been like, worth it, Sega. <laughs> um, me too. Yep. But yeah, to have that, you know, it wasn't an arcade game, but that true experience the unfiltered you getting everything that the developers want you to have on, on a console uh blew me away the other thing that blew me away about rewatching halt and catch fire this most recent time i'm fairly certain that they all play it without a mouse they just do the mm-hmm. double keyboard yep. um yep. which i didn't know there's like a whole snopes whole snopes i'm over i'm overstating it but there's like parts of the internet that are like trying to snopes fact check it like did you could you not use a mouse when doom first and people like yeah one it's like a mouse wasn't invented until two years after doom and it's like false the mouse was invented in like 1918 not really but like this whole like misremembering of what doom was when it launched Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i apparently am on the other end of that spectrum that i didn't know that people played it without a mouse but i guess that's how some people played it that's how i played it yeah and i think that was the default control system it shipped without mouse look in any way it was the default when you bought the shareware and first played it it shipped with and and funny enough i have this control system baked into my brain to the point where (laughs) i can't break out of it zx to strafe uh forward uh forwards backwards on the arrow keys uh a space to jump or space to open doors, control to fire, like a really weird control system. And I, and yeah. I, I remember playing something like Overwatch I, when I was working at Blizzard. I played Overwatch and I was like, too many, but skills I can't fit into my weird <laughs> control system. And I couldn't figure out why. And then I went back to play an original version of Doom and went, oh, shoot, it came from Doom. Doom, I played so much Doom with that default keyboard control system that it was just the way that I played. Like, WASD did not exist to me. I still struggle yeah. with WASD because I'm yeah. so, Doom baked its control system into me. And I think... Controls are a really interesting point, actually, to bring up. Because yes, I played it on keyboard. Only played it on keyboard. When they added, when they added, look up, look down in Quake, I was like, no, I can't. How am I supposed to play this game? You want me to use a mouse? That's wrong. I Did play Hexen these games then, on keyboard. Or not, not Hexen. Yeah. What was the what was the spaceship was he- one? Um, Hex- Hexen was Wizards, and then there was the one where you had full Y. Um, oh oh yeah, gosh, someone's yelling at us right now. Yeah, I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Go yeah. ahead. Sorry, I'll, I'll yeah, figure it, it out at some point. It was Quake that really got me, and I struggled with that for a while. But but what's interesting now is if you if you play, so I I picked the 32x in the SNES version for specific reasons. One, there's two different control systems there, right? The SNES has more buttons than the 32 than the the Genesis, the Mega Drive did, the 32x did, and the reason was is because when I picked up the PC version now it defaults to strafe on the left stick. Mm. So you strafe left, right, and you move forward back and you shoot and you do everything. And I was like, yeah, this is how, this is how 
games play. Like I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> and then I went back to play the 32X version and was like, oh no, Doom shipped with turn left yeah. or right, forward, back, yeah. and hold to strafe. So they've actually changed that. And I played it on controller too. So I was simulating playing on 32X. They've actually changed that in the PC version to put strafe because that's how first-person shooters are now, right? They're all circle strafe by default. That's all you do. That's not how Doom started. So then when you play the SNES version and you've got shoulder buttons and now you've mm-hmm. got strafe on left, right, LR, and then the extra four buttons on the controller. And that was really a really interesting... I mean, accident, but really interesting to see how the control system and back then, right, when we had multiple platforms and we had multiple different technology platforms. So the SNES version has worse audio than the 32X, but the 32X has weird controls of the SNES. You know, we had those kind of choices we had to make as gamers. It's interesting how the control system, again, has such an impact on feel because the Mega Drive version is kind of hard to play when you have to hold a button to strafe. And then, you know, and that button is also open door and it's also... Uh, it's also strafe and it's also sprint, right? It gets really confusing. Whereas the SNES has got that extra couple of buttons and those controls make all the difference and make things more fluid and flow better, give you more ability to kind of respond and make choices. Um, and yeah, I, I think especially playing the PC version, which is so fluid on a controller now. And like in 94, when we were playing Doom, playing that on a controller was just like blasphemy. You couldn't even imagine it was some <laughs> weird, like weird, you know knock off console controller that you would play you would yeah. play something like that on and it wouldn't even work it was all keyboard or keyboard and mouse so yeah controls are a really important element i think there of making the feel allowing you to express yourself more giving you more flexibility or less and sometimes that's okay sometimes that's the compromise you you play and you learn you, you know if you only had the 32x version you were quite happy with it because you were playing doom like you know like you said like i was when i got my 32x i was playing doom on my telly you know, on my favorite console. So, yeah, it, it is super interesting how those controls can kind of shape us. Uh, now, mm-hmm. for people coming up, I think there's a lot more default stuff, like the idea of a dual analog, four shouldered, mm-hmm. uh, four triggered controller. I thought with the PS5 and Xbox Series generation, I thought that maybe we'd get back paddles standard mm-hmm. i think Me stuff too. owning the patent that they own um perhaps limits some of that um and i don't know maybe we'll we will see some other fundamental change in controllers but as you mentioned you know before yeah the control not only did were the consoles uh different in terms of types of games they could do but the controllers were very different um sega did sell that three button i mean a six button controller mm-hmm. Um, something like Street Fighter, if you bought that, it was vastly better than the Super Nintendo controller, even though it had all the buttons. Um, and then for Doom, it, it did, it shaped the way you played the game. Like, I yep. didn't strafe much, you nope. know, it, it was uh, being quicker going in and sprinting, uh, so to speak, more. And, and then kind of you having that stuff baked into your head. I, because of... And I don't know why this isn't everybody our age or my age, not to lump you in with me, but for the longest time, I played Southpaw Control on mm-hmm. um, first-person shooters, mm-hmm. and it, it's so weird. Why do you do that? And I'm like, that's how they that's how they were, because mm-hmm. N64, uh, Dreamcast, and Saturn, they had one analog, so they gave analog, and it was left left thumb analog. So analog controlled, you wanted that to be your fine movement, mm-hmm. which was your look, and then just your dumb buttons, right thumb, 
or movement. Yep. And so that's that's a southpaw control scheme. But somehow, <laughs> somewhere, Halo, all of that changed. Yep. And the default was the other way. And it wasn't until, maybe I've already said this, uh, it wasn't until the first Gears of War that forced me to abandon southpaw because with the roadie run mm-hmm. being so dependent on A, and games don't let you map, a lot of games don't let you map the right side buttons to the D-pad, even though it's mm-hmm. essentially the same thing. I couldn't play gears like mm-hmm. trying to use the right analog um, for locomotion. And then also you had to do like that crab thing to also hit a for roadie run. So I gave it up, but I do think that my first person shooting skill is worse because I think my left thumb is still my finer, <laughs> you know, my precision thumb. Um, but to bring it back to doom. Yeah. I mean, I was a mouse on computer person. Um, But then on the 32X, yeah, strafing sometimes boss fight. Sure. Uh, When you get into those rotundas, you know, or those, those quads to kind of flank around an enemy, but otherwise it was never my first, my first instinct for going into an encounter. And I haven't really thought about it as like how that maybe framed the game for me versus someone that, grew up playing it on snes and i think it's interesting because i bet if at that time right young Kristen and young alex had played you know compare let's compare our playing of doom you would have been a lot i would imagine you would have been a lot faster and fluid in your experience with mouse even just mouse turning right than i would have been on keyboard turning um, which when you play Doom now on a controller with strafe mode on, you are, right? You're super fluid and like you can dodge all those incoming things and you know, you're, you're easy to just dodge around. For, like a, any modern first-person shooter, you're very fluid and moving very fluidly. Um, and I'm going to say fluid one more time. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that's a real interesting, again, talking about feel, right? That's how that experience would have probably differed between me and you at that time, how we would have experienced doom just purely because of the way we interacted with it. Um, and I think that's a lot more like to your point, it's a lot more homogenous now, right? Most things run controller or keyboard and mouse. There's still the keyboard and mouse versus controller argument. You know, that's still hanging around. Um, but I think a lot of it, yeah, is much more homogenous. It's reasonably the same, I guess, touch controls, I suppose, are the new, the new equivalent, that's, right? If you're not that familiar with touch controls, maybe that's the new the new frontier there. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I do see, well, not so much anymore, but I used, when Fortnite was allowed on phones, I would see the youths um, just, and I guess now with Call of Duty on touch too, but like very scary with, like I still try to hold my phone and play with my thumbs <laughs> yeah. and competitive touch gamers. That's not how I see them play. It's down or they're kind of have a, claw on it Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. a finger is dedicated to a spot on the screen and they're lightning quick with it but it's not a control scheme that i've ever grokked i try to replicate the controller to a touch screen and that's not a good way to play that does not feel good (laughs) (laughs) yeah now that makes me want to play doom on a phone and see how it feels right see how different it is see how flexible it is see how controllable it is because I, I think that is you know an, an important element i don't think we've really talked about it in the previous conversations we've had about um how much of an impact the controller or the control scheme has on the feel and i wonder if that is a 
pseudo 3D versus a 2D, right? The two previous discussions have been about 2D games. Now we're talking about a 3D game where there's that extra dimension that puts an extra pressure on the control scheme. Um, that's an interesting thing. I hadn't thought about that. You know, if if there is an element here that, and, and again, in these early days of 3D and these early days of first person where the controls were so much more impactful than, than maybe they are now. Yeah, maybe we can tee that up for a future episode because I do think that's interesting. Um, mm. And part of, I guess, a potential tease for it is I feel like it had to have been relevant back then too. Except only reason not is that the NES was so ubiquitous that that's everybody's default D-pad. Uh, as someone who loved their Xbox 360, <laughs> I mean, if if the 2D era had existed during the Xbox 360 being the dominant console, I, I think it would have died before it bore any fruit yep. because that d-pad was applesauce <laughs> i mean it was <laughs> so smushy it it just didn't feel good at all it didn't convey that that mega man collection on that oh, <laughs> almost unplayable um yeah but before we tee up another conversation i want to circle back to doom stuff because i feel like there's still a lot here but we've also been chatting for a bit so I want to make sure we don't miss anything that you want to talk about. And the other thing that I want to throw out, uh, like an M throwing a fireball, that I think is a huge reason why Doom has stuck with me over the years, is its, dare I say, sound design, which by today's Absolutely. standards sounds primitive. But by those, I mean, it's forever ingrained in my head what those demons, sounds, cries are and what it means to me as a player. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I, that was that's a really good point. Yeah, is how much the sound again another part of the crucial recipe for feel, right? Is is the the sound diversity and the distinction between the sounds, right? There's a lot of really clear feedback from all of the enemies, right? From like we talked about, damaging an imp versus killing an imp. Um, you know, do, hearing the audio of a of a pinky being around and knowing what that means. Um, you know, landing the you know some of the we- obviously some of the weapon impacts the the you know the, the gib or jib depending on your uh, your preference of an enemy <laughs> with from an exploding barrel right you know all very distinct and clear sounds clearly com- you know limited on capacity right they could only fit so many sounds at so high quality yeah um, interesting difference between the 32x version and the SNES version right the 32x has pc quality sound because of its much higher memory capacity and fm sound chip as good as the SNES was SNES is much more muffled and it does hurt the feel the thing you know when you're playing back to back it doesn't landing the impacts there's there's clearly a lot more fighting between what sound can win so sometimes you'll kill an enemy and they'll go down with no sound effects and like that immediately snaps you out of the moment you know so all those little elements all add up and and make that experience of firing a weapon landing it successfully or missing you know or wounding versus killing all easy to read and and therefore make that experience that dance of combat much more interesting yeah audio is a huge one and interesting when i went back to play it the first thing i did was turn off the music because when i played doom I don't remember there being music. I remember it being solid. I think there probably was. Maybe I did turn it off by default, but I remember the silence. I remember the ominous silence. And because you're always listening for the sound of a secret door or the, an enemy that you hadn't seen yet or an enemy that got spawned or a, or a teleporter, like all those. And again, to your point, all those sound effects are so iconic you needed to hear them and they stood out and some of them will make you jump when you heard them, you know, yes. like they were genuinely impactful. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm, I can't. I feel like I hear sound. I feel like I hear music when I play. Like I, I, I feel like my version is the 32x version, and I, I mm-hmm. think that that had sound. Yeah, going sound into and music. It. Yeah, but yeah, sorry, yeah, mu- music. Um, it is also an interesting, perhaps, vestige of when this game came out too, though, where um, now what my phone can do, right? Like mm-hmm. with an ARM chip um, or like the M1, the silicon on M1 Max or a Chromebook. Um, when Doom came out, your computer, a sound card was a GPU. Not literally. I realize what I'm saying. Don't yell at me. But well, the sound, it's not graphics. GPU stands for gra-. Yes, I know that. But like, having a sound card mm-hmm. was like having a 3080. Like it's that level of gamer that had one. Absolutely. Yeah. And so games didn't have, uh, even on PC, on computer, the same level. It was bips and bleeps and boops because that's what those chips could produce unless you had ray tracing. Again, I'm muddying the metaphor, but that's the point. Um, yeah. And so I think the experiences that people were having then, I bet, were pretty different based on what we've covered here, console, control scheme, and then also um, tech. Whereas now, oh, Alex, I played Guardians of the Galaxy. It's great. You should play it. You're not going to be like, I loved that game. I really loved the music and me being like, that game didn't have music. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally homogenous now. And, And before how we remember a game I think was very much, or at least specifically for doom, uh, very much the machine we had available to us when we played it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I remember at one point my dad bought home a second PC from his job, like a spare one. And so we, and I'm pretty sure that PC didn't have a sound card. And like the first thing I did was play Doom on it on the PC speaker and was like, nope, we need to find, we need to spend whatever it was on a Sound Blaster because I can't play Doom. But, and we linked them up because we were playing multiplayer with them. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that technology to your yeah to your point about the different the impact it makes ray tracing versus you know quality audio versus basically no audio um, to the experience again to the feel right to the experience of interacting with that game. Um, without that audio, it wouldn't. It isn't the same experience. Even back to Wolfenstein, right? Wolfenstein, we remember the what you know the sounds the Nazis would make, right? Those were memorable because they stood out. Um, and then you know, in Spirit of Destiny and those games, they stood out. But then Doom took it to the next level and expanded the palette and created more diversity. And you know, in the weapons, right? All the weapons feel very distinct. They all have their own. Even the shotgun and double and super shotgun, right? They have a distinct feel and sound to them that you know that, that makes them all stand out they don't overlap um even the pistol and the chain gun which i think fundamentally are the same fire sound right some efficiency there but one of them's a much lower rpm than the other um makes those weapons you know really distinct and stand out and then the ai as well right the ai are a big part of the experience making sure that you understand the wind up the anticipation the sound of an enemy behind you you know all those kind of things have a huge impact so yeah I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of technology and the impact that that sound had at that time again speaking about doom being well timed with technology um i think that's a really good point yeah uh, it feels good it feels good to do this show with you my friend uh, <laughs> and to have this <laughs> chat too. any anything else yeah. doom related that we we should hit on before we uh put a bow on it 
there's one one other thing that I did notice, which is sort of related, um, and that's resolution. Hmm. I think it's really, and again, I don't think this is really. I know we talk about 4K versus 1080p and 1440p, right? But those are really hair splitting. Like when you go back and play again, when you go back and play SNES 32x Doom and modern, you know, or PC Doom, the resolution is so different that whenever you're shooting a barrel on a 32x version, it's so often just a weird gaggle of grey pixels, um, and an enemy is just a weird gaggle of red pixels or brown pixels or slightly white pixels until you get close. Once you get close, they look great, but on PC. You know, that higher resolution, that higher fidelity makes that experience. And a lot of Doom is about making sure you catch enemies at distance and don't get too close. Right? A lot of it is the distance game, and some yeah. of that's the weapons, some of that's the way they function. It's the balance between close combat and long-range AI when they come at you, you know, a pinky versus a nymph in the background, that kind of stuff. Um, so having to sort of tackle those guys when they are really very pixelated little things in the corner <laughs> does hurt the feel, right? And again, if all you had was a SNES, you were playing Doom on your SNES, on your console. Right. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? Like that version is so impressive. Yes. Um, you know, and still feels good. Frame rate's not as good, but it still feels good. Um, but yeah, that resolution, again, something that we just don't really deal with in the same way that we used to. Um, and I'm glad we don't because it is a lot better. Um, um, has such an impact on feel and the experience, and sort of you almost don't want to shoot the enemies at distance on the 32x one. You want to get up close because then you can sort of see them and understand. What, oh, there's, a, there's that guy. I can actually <laughs> understand what I'm doing to him, kind of thing. It's it's kind of interesting. I hope we're we're doing this show 20 years from now so we can look back at like uh, <laughs> Halo Infinite and be like, you know. It, it's just draw distance. And like, yeah, you can see there's a tree 400 miles over there. But now on our 20K screen holodex, it's like, <laughs> of course, there's a tree there. I have pine sap on my body, you know, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Remember that day when that tree at distance was only 1,000 polygons because of LOD? What a joke that was. Right <laughs> now I can see a, a tree from a million miles and it's a billion polys because power. <laughs> Yes, now agreed. it's outsourced and on an entire studio made just that tree. <laughs> just that tree, yeah. <laughs> oh, they did a damn good job. <laughs> the game was delayed to make sure that every tree was independently, uh, yeah, four million polys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, oh, it could happen, crazy. mate. It could happen. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for talking Doom. Thanks for hanging out and listening to us talk Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've teed up a couple of future potentials, racing games. We're going to mention every time until we do one. Oh yeah, um, and then I want to talk more about these controls and stuff like mm-hmm. that too on the two D plane and in this transition to three D. I mean, Alex, it might just be a reason that I'd want to do a uh, Saturn slash Dreamcast exclusive episode as we kind of get ripped in and out of three D and two D and forced into three D and and that whole era of gaming and and how it felt and the whiplash it gave me personally <laughs> anything that makes me bust out my knights 3d analog controller and discuss the the parallels between that and the dreamcast controller mate i'm i'm there i'm there for it i mean tis the season uh to date when we're talking right now tis the season for knight's christmas so mm. i don't think i need to give you the excuse you've got it ready to go set that clock to 25th of december and get those bonuses yeah i'm down <laughs> 